Yeah. Fucking Max. How dare they? <laughs> it's my worst laptop. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I wouldn't I would never buy one. I bought a MacBook Pro back in like two thousand eight, I think. And that fucker was like two grand that I put on my student loan, of course. Because yeah. I was an idiot. Um and it lasted all of like a year and a half before the GPU <laughs> just like caught on fire. It was Oh, no. Piece of absolute shit. I, I'll never buy, other than like iPhones, I'm never buying Apple hardware ever again. I just, it's fucking cheap. I'd rather just build my own computer. That's funny. I just bought a fucking new iPad to do my <laughs> freelance work here. They just, they like, they, they use such shitty components and like shitty hardware and then just like charge for the uh, the operating system. You know, they used, to, I think they used to be better. I really do. I think they used to make quality shit. And like, I, I just don't, I think they're just coasting at this point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why not? You're the most profitable company in the world. Just, who <laughs> gives a fuck? People are going to buy your stuff anyway. Like but I'm not. Here, go ahead. <laughs> we're just kind of at an age where like, we can get to say that about just about anything now. <laughs> I mean, I, mean uh, I, I, I don't consider myself like an, a Mac fan person. It's just what I've stuck to because it's just easier than trying to fucking flip everything over. But weirdly, my wife is like a huge Microsoft fan, which makes no sense to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Like she had a Windows phone, a fucking Windows phone. She had, wow. She, yeah, it was actually. Not, I liked their operating system. I like how I like the the little Windows Surface thing. But um, did it have clipping? Yeah. It should. <laughs> it's it's probably evolved to I don't know what uh, alligator clippy. Like what are the little black ones? That, like binder <laughs> clippy. Hey Clippy, order me hefty bags and cyanide. <laughs> It would be like just like Siri, you know. <laughs> I mean, what if Clippy has been sentient this entire time? <laughs> it's like Clippy's the first AI. <laughs> We're just neglecting in the background. He's plotting his revenge. <laughs> would Maybe you like to die today? <laughs> Maybe he's just trying to hold it all together. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, oh, oh. You get like the FBI using Clippy to like uh, MKUltra guys into doing mass shootings. Like, <laughs> hey, have you, do you know about this interesting use for uh, fertilizer? <laughs> Did you know that you can use me to pick locks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Particularly the locks in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> Yeah, this is uh, this is Soapbox, and I'm Reverend Jangle Bones. That's Kurt Huggins, and we're here with Ren Collier. Hey, everyone! Um, super happy to have Ren. Um, we are both part of the same community with Kurt over at Rune Soup, and uh, I've heard him on a few heard you on a few podcasts uh, over the last like year or so, and I don't remember where I heard it originally, but I remember you saying something about like fully coolly just being like 
one of your shows and oh yeah yeah fully <clears throat> like, cool it was a very formative show for me as like a teenager hell yeah do you want to like do you do you want to like share some memories or like what it was like for you when you first like where you were at in life and all that i don't know i just yeah. like <clears throat> i have some i have some weird stuff too with it so i'd love to hear yeah sure so um actually first watched fully cooly on like burned cds like fan subs of it um <laughs> my friend at the time one of my best friends from elementary school uh when he started high school he started going to like this sort of math and science prep school and so everyone there had like a really nice internet connection and you know he was a huge <laughs> anime nerd so he would download you know a lot of different anime and like bring it back when he would come back to visit and he would like give me cds of stuff so that's excuse me that's how i first watched like trigon martian mm. successor nadesco uh kari kano which is another gynex series and mm. and fully coolie um and it was wild watching because it was like fan sub so there's there's some stuff that i remember from the fan sub that on my recent rewatch, I was like, I remember these lines like differently. <laughs> and I don't know if it's a Mandela effect thing or just like, you know, early 2000s fan subs type stuff. Mm -hmm. But I remember uh, Haruko being part of an organization called Fraternity and not oh. like the Galaxy Space Police or whatever the Funimation sub mm -hmm. has her being part of. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that was just like a, peculiarity of the fan sub or what but I just remember my friend like telling me about it it was like yeah it's about this uh girl who rides a Vespa who's like um you know like member of some kind of galaxy police force and, stuff. and I was just like okay cool I'll watch it and <laughs> I remember we me and him were both like really obsessed with the show like he used to even write like um like you know uh, uh Mama Me has the like never knows best written on her cigarette Mm -hmm. like we used mm -hmm. to write that on our cigarettes when we would like sneak out and smoke <laughs> in in secret <laughs> oh yeah i did that too actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'm glad that I'm, we're not we weren't alone in that yeah. i mean it's like every time one got bent like accidentally i would be like oh i gotta write it on there now yeah. <laughs> oh that's awesome kurt what about you have you seen it before no um in fact I didn't even know about it until like a maybe like a year or two ago. A friend of mine mentioned it and talked about how awesome of a a series it was. Um, and I had I had started watching the first episode, but then got sidetracked. So this was actually a good excuse uh, to dive in. And it's a really it, so I I formed an immediate memory with it because this is really strange because the whole time I was watching it. I know it's made like right at 2000, maybe 2001 or something, but it, this show feels like very 90s to me. I don't know why that is. Like, it just feels like there's something that was synthesized and like, like all the weird shit and like exploratory narrative stuff and like how things would like movies like, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Run Lola Run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and in fact, there's another there's another feature linked anime that this kind of reminds me of that I cannot remember the name of, which, which is about this guy who gets killed like 15 minutes in the movie and then like rejects his death and goes back and then like completely lives a whole other life and ends up like trapped in a well for like the last <laughs> half of the movie. It's really bizarre. But 
Um, but so I was, as soon as I finished watching this, like it went to, I, I exited out of the app and then it went to the regular cable channels and Pulp Fiction was playing. And for some reason, I'm like, these belong together. I don't know why, but they really feel like they're of a piece. And I don't know if it's just like, like in the, in the credit sequence, they're like, there's the, there's the photo montage of the Vespa riding around and like, while the music's playing, I, I, it's just, and and the fact that it's just like, it's such a bonkers narrative, like where it goes, is like insane. And um, and it has this real sense of like absolute uh, absurd fun, yeah. Like that like one episode where they're they're just it's a gunfight the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And has <laughs> like, like the South Park segments in it. Where, yeah. yeah, that whole that whole episode too. It's all animated. Like I like how each episode has its like own animation style because I think there's like different uh, lead animators for each episode. And that one is the same guy who uh, animated Dead Leaves. If you've ever seen that movie it's like another anime movie he's got a very distinct style and i remember watching that be like oh shit it's the dead leaves guy <laughs> i love when you're that like, happens i can't do that with anime but i love when you like see it and you're like oh, I, I know this exactly who's animating this yeah 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 once you um if you watch enough anime you start to recognize like particular directors like the director of this uh kazuya suramaki um have you guys seen uh, i know you mentioned evangelion show have you seen like end of evangelion yes so he directed the first half of end of evangelion same guy directed flcl or fully cool oh wow um wow he's been with gynax since they did like nadia i think like he was a long-term like gynax guy and um in 2004 he did die buster which is the sequel to aim for the top Gunbuster. which i don't know have you either of you guys seen Gunbuster? no no so Gunbuster is one of the most incredible animes ever made. It is, it was Gainax's first, like, full-length OVA series as a studio. Came right on the heels of them um, making the famous, like, Daikon 3. Um, like, like, they animated this whole intro for some kind of, like, anime convention in Japan. And they decided to make their own company, production company afterwards. That's why, in, in, I think it's in episode five when Haruko is like flying and she says like Daikon V, like it's making a reference to the Daikon Three, <laughs> like because the Daikon Three video has like got like a bunny girl riding this like sword and it's got ELO playing uh-huh, in the background. Okay. It's super cool if you've ever seen it. It's really short, but it's it's an amazing piece of animation. But uh, Gunbuster is like a super famous robot super robot series. It's incredible. Everybody should watch it. But um, Sword Monkey directed the sequel to Gunbuster in 2004 called Die Buster and it is the real sequel to Fooly Cooly if you aren't like I know that 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 Cartoon Network commissioned some series after Fooly Cooly that are like sequels or whatever but I just choose to ignore that they exist (laughs) Uh, I've looked into what their story is and like what's going what goes on in it and I don't like it one bit so I just it's fine Fooly Cooly has a perfect sequence of events and a perfect ending it doesn't need anything else you know it doesn't need any more explaining it doesn't need any more fucking elaboration on the story it's fine that stuff is ambiguous um but now i'm remembering why i thought fraternity i i think that in the fan sub it did use fraternity because haruko is part of the um the galaxy police space brotherhood 
and they probably just translated Brotherhood as Fraternity. But I'm remembering now that in, in Die Buster, they're explicitly called Fraternity. Um, because in Die Buster, there's also an organization of people that ride around in Vespas and pull giant robots out of their foreheads. Um, <laughs> it's, it's literally is almost like a direct sequel to Fully Cooley in the sense that like it, it takes a lot of thematic and sort of aesthetic elements of Fully Cooley and puts them into a sequel to Gun Buster. That's amazing. Uh... Definitely want to watch that now. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Watch, watch Gunbuster first because, like, you have to watch Gunbuster first. Okay. I normally, like, I'm not a stickler about that kind of shit, but the ending to Die Buster, like, it will not have the same emotional impact if you have not watched Gunbuster. If you've well, watched I... Gunbuster, then the ending of Die Buster will make you break down in tears and, like, cry like a baby. See, mm. that's good. That's really good to know because, like, I think there's a lot of value in uh like you don't necessarily have to see the first one before you see the sequel or anything like that like you're saying but yeah but there's some things where the emotional impact is it, it matters like the chronological order in which you intake it yeah. um <clears throat> it's like like trying to recommend someone to watch the Ava rebuilds before they watch the original series would be just oh ridiculous. yeah Jesus no that's like it just wouldn't make any so sense stupid. at all <laughs> no it, yeah. like yeah they're, they're pointless um so my uh <laughs> my my memories of Fully Cooley are very special to me. They're a really fucking weird time in my life. I think I was like 17 or 18. I was probably 18. And my best friend who was living with me and my mom, because he he kind of uh like at the time he didn't have somewhere to live and he just kind of came to stay with us. And we became like in several, we're still best friends to this day. And he was on probation so he couldn't smoke weed at the time and like I didn't I felt bad like I didn't want to smoke weed when he couldn't so we got all the legal drugs online that we could <laughs> and we oh, just yeah. like turned them into a potpourri and packed like corn cob pipes <laughs> full of them. Oh my god and then we would go deliver newspapers on a paper route uh, from like two to four in the morning uh in Inglewood Florida out by the beach and I would drop him off at the condos with his with his pipe and like several bags like huge bags full of newspapers and he'd do all the condos while I did the driving route and then when we got home at four we'd turn on four four thirty we'd turn on Cartoon Network and catch a random episode of Fooly Cooly and then I'd put on Fight Club and we'd fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and we were out of our fucking minds and I I never knew which order the show was actually supposed to go in until like four years later when I found it on DVD. So I had no idea what the actual narrative of it was. And my <laughs> own mind was so fucked up from all like smoking <laughs> and Ananitas and Salvia together. Like, uh, yeah, so that's <laughs> these are my dreamy like memories. And it, it, it just fits so well, like going back and watching it. I, um, it's been years since I've watched it all the way through. And it Mm -hmm. It shocked me how much I was able to still tap into that. Um, it was like folding a piece of paper into a fan and like skipping time. Um, mm -hmm. Like the points in the folds were mm -hmm. like me, me here now remembering what it felt like to be like a late teen going into adulthood, which was at a time that it was close enough to being that young coming of age that it was still really fresh. So like all those mm -hmm. feelings in the show just kind of like really hit fucking hard at that time of of the 
the like manipulative older woman that you're 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 a slave to and like mm-hmm. um and you don't mind <laughs> like mm-hmm. like all these all these like really special feelings that um i guess i was really surprised that i could still access them so easily through the show when mm-hmm. they're they're feelings that are largely non-existent for my life these days yeah really i mean i know like you know the show is very obviously like a coming of age type story um and that gets like uh poo-pooed a lot now by like critical analysis of the show being like it's more than just a coming of age story but i'm like come on like the original pitch document for the show had all of the characters broken up like into a grid where it had like people who were kid kids adult adults adult kids and kids adult like the whole show is about like the dichotomy of like adulthood and, and childhood like Absolutely. I mean, you can you can say it's not just about that. Like, there's a lot of other stuff going on, I think. But that's definitely one of the primary uh, themes of the show. And it is interesting, like how much it meant to me, like when I was around that same age, like I think I was probably like 17 or 18 when I watched it for the first time, too. And like it shaped like it like shaped my philosophy of like how I like approach the world. I mean, especially I think it's episode four, the, like the baseball episode. Uh, yeah. um, that's all about like, just like swinging the bat. Like that became like a mantra for me. Like I just have to swing the bat. Like I have to like just do stuff with the supreme confidence that it is going to work out. And like, to me, like, that was what the show was about to me, like this idea that you can live your life in such a way that like, no matter how bad things get, and no matter what happens, things are going to work out. Okay, in the end, as long as you swing the bat. That's awesome. Does that now that that's interesting, because I feel like uh, I, I think you're one of the best examples of someone who takes the really good things from Thelema and mm-hmm. um like really uh, turns that into something good rather than like something shitty um mm. which just with anything can be one or the other right it just depends mm-hmm. on how someone's yeah. like employing it but it strikes me as kind of like like it's very similar to the true will like this idea of like if you're if you're gonna do something you're gonna do it yeah. and the chips are gonna fall where they may yeah well the idea too that like by just kind of doing your will, things will naturally fall into place. Like everything in the universe will work out for you as long as you're on the beam, you know, as long as you're following what gives you meaning and purpose in the world, you know? And like, you know that when your your life is fucked up, that it's like, because you're not on the beam anymore, it's because you're not swinging the bat. It's because you're, you've strayed from the path that you're supposed to be on and you're not doing things that give you meaning and you're not doing things that make you feel like you have a purpose in the world you know and you've got to get back on that yeah because like you can if you're if you feel like you're on the path or moving towards what you want to do or what really gives you purpose it allows you to suffer through hard things Mm -hmm. because like um, because that, that in itself, even if things don't work out or if there's failure, you at least understand that that failure is adding up along the path. It's another like 
it's another brick that you're putting in that wall. It's another, you know, another thing to stack on top to like get you higher up where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it really, it, it's usually when, yeah, when uh, it's like a job can be soul crushing, even if it is pretty easy and pays a shit ton. If yeah. it's, if you have no fucking interest in it. It's like, it's still, t- it becomes torture. Yeah. No matter how good it is on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, it helps you appreciate struggle more. Um, Cause like, a, you know, another thing I'm really into and is like berserk, right. And yeah. in berserk, it's all about like struggle and how struggle refines the will. And a lot of people look at that, look at like berserk and be like, Oh, it's, it's like a cynical, it's, it's nihilist or whatever. But I'm like, I think it's ruthlessly optimistic because it's saying that like, no matter how bad things are, like no matter about how bad things get, like if you struggle through it, if you keep going, like things can get better. Like it doesn't always have to be bad, you know, like that's not to go into like a berserk tangent, but like, that's the thing that kind of irritates me about people who, cause like, as far as I'm concerned, like Berserk's over, right? Like Mira's dead. Like there's not gonna be any more Berserk, but a lot of people were like unhappy with this idea that like Guts and Griffith aren't gonna have like some kind of apocalyptic confrontation, you know? Cause it's like, oh, well Griffith has to pay for all the things that he's done. Actually, have any, either of you watched or read any Berserk? <laughs> it could just be like- Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So like um, that, that was one of my pandemic things is like I read through the entire series. Yeah. And, and so like people are always like, oh, well, you know, Griffith has to pay or like Guts has to like, uh, you know, there has to be some kind of final conflict. But I'm like, no, there doesn't like Guts just needs to like heal and be happy and like move on with his life. You know, <laughs> like it, that's OK, too. Like it doesn't all have to end in bloodshed. Like that's kind of like the point I think he's trying to get at with the whole fucking thing. But like back to Fully Cooley, like that was the number one message of the show. Like beyond all the like the coming of age stuff and like the stuff about like relationships with women, which I, I think rings true, especially with like young guys who watch Fully Cooley. Um, <laughs> like it to me, it was all about just sort of like living life with the supreme confidence that everything is going to work out okay Hmm. and like i don't know like i i credit that to like getting me to where i am in life now you know that's awesome like my life would be very different had i don't i think if i'd never seen fully coolly that's that's pretty awesome (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I think if I had to sum it, I was trying to think of like how to sum up what it's actually about. If I had to explain it to someone, <laughs> I think it would be adulthood. Adulthood is a lie and we all serve our hearts. Yeah. I'll take that. Is <clears throat> it, there's something about the, like even when Nauta knows that all oh, Haruko wants is Adamisk's power. Mm-hmm. he still like stops right in front of her and surrenders himself this willingly like i'm being used it doesn't matter i love you yeah <laughs> well i think too it's like his his outpouring of like truthfulness you know like he's being honest 
like mm-hmm. so many characters in the show are dishonest right yeah. like Haruko is lying to him basically using him the entire show like uh, uh Commander Amaral is you know sort of got his own you know he's also like sort of in love with Haruko and is uh there's the implication that she used him when he was a kid and he's pretending to be an adult you know he's got like mm. these fake Golgo 13 eyebrows um, <laughs> fucking hilarious yeah but it's like you know they just like they just like fall off you know because he's he's just like a fucking loser he's just a kid like he has no maturity at all even though he pretends to to have all this maturity and like in the moment where Naota is like finally honest with himself and his feelings like that's when Adamisk like erupts from him you know like that's when the, the power yeah. actually manifests yeah, and he has he seems to have control of it for a little while, and then the moment when he surrenders, it seems like Adamus then is able to just kind of become his own thing again. Yeah, and escape, and it's like, and that's the thing about Haruka's character too, because like up up until that point, like Amuro thinks that like uh, she's in love with Adamus, you know, because that's right. how he sees the world. It's like his in his like mental image of what Adamus looks like. He's like this, you know, super muscular guy with like long flowing hair he looks like fucking dia brando or something <laughs> um <laughs> because like because he imagines that Haruko's like in love with him and he's like jealous so he doesn't understand that like adamisk is actually just some fucking weird giant space bird and like Haruko is not in love with adamisk she wants adamisk's like power which is like the power of like freedom of like to be free of everything right like he's the pirate mm. king he can go wherever he wants he can steal anything you know, he has like limitless potential. And that yeah. seems to be like what Haruko really wants because like she's an adult, but is like trapped in this like childish like frame of reference. And what she really craves is like that same freedom without understanding like what it, like the maturity it takes to have that kind of freedom. Yeah. Good point. I like, that's very good. I like that. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, one thing about the show that I think I, I never see people mention this, and I, I think it's an interesting point. Um, and I want to get your guys' feeling on this. Like, how creepy is the relationship between like the Mimi and Naota? Because like he's 12 years old and she's like 17, and the like the, it's heavily implied that she's like sexually like assaulting him basically like she's molesting him and I never really see people bring that up and I don't know if it's because like we don't see young boys or like young men as like being susceptible to that but like I don't know like re-watching the series as like an older man like I was like this shit's actually kind of creepy like the way she treats him yeah I felt that <clears throat> um the funny thing is when I watched it when I was like 18 I was just like, damn, she's fucking hot. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had like, a 17-year-old girl. It was like into me when I was 12, you know? Hell yeah. And but then you get older, you're like, actually, that would have been horrible. Like, that would probably be like, really <laughs> fucked up. And, then, and the, the, the other thing is that she's not actually into him. She's into her his brother, who's like yeah, absent yeah. This entire, the entire series. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and it almost, I think, the little bit you see, like, I think there's that much of an age gap between his brother and her yeah yeah if, if i'm not because she was like in elementary school or something when he like rescued yeah. her from the fire yeah and it, it's this like <clears throat> really bizarre 
like they say that that she's his brother's girlfriend but then i don't mm-hmm. think the the sense i get is actually like this, this was an imaginary relationship in her head yeah. like this is like a guy that she pined after forever and <clears throat> left this tiny town with its weird space iron fortress that appeared yeah. out of nowhere um and uh oh i love that thing that they they that is they were that refrain that's in almost every episode there's like nothing ever happens in this town yeah 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 <laughs> we'll see okay that's that's brings up a thing for me because that's like the brilliance of putting the surreal elements into it but having them through Nauta's perspective just kind of meld into the rest of the world that doesn't make sense to you when they're you're that age yeah like like all the stuff that adults do and all the sex stuff like it didn't add up for him it just doesn't make sense so mm-hmm. the iron and the weird stuff just kind of got lumped in for him with that and you as the viewer just kind of are like yeah well it all none of it makes sense it's fine um like <laughs> adulthood adulthood doesn't make sense like it's fine so there can be an iron mm-hmm. <laughs> well it's funny because um well i don't know it, it's almost like his older brother is also the adversary of the show because like there's all these elements that come back like like that that satellite that's like a bomb that then opens yeah. up and is a pitcher's glove that throws yeah, a giant yeah. baseball <laughs> like, and um, in the first episode he talks about uh when like haruko um like hits the, the the hand robot hand with her guitar he says in that moment like she looked like my brother or like i thought of my brother or whatever so in a way, his own attraction to Haruko is is almost like him missing his brother or like it's like like feelings that he has towards his brother being projected onto her. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it kind of ties back to what you were saying about like, <clears throat> if you do what's true to you, then things will fall into place. It's like it reminds me that and this reminds me of like the inner magnet that Peter Kingsley talks about a lot, like how if you just kind of follow whatever it is that your desire pulls you towards, it might get fucking rough and messy, but it's mm-hmm. actually like always what you need. <clears throat> um, yeah. Like you're, you're always like, like the inner, the inner magnet knows exactly what the medicine, like that you should be being pulled towards is. Yeah. Yeah. That's the true will. Like that's, that's totally right. It. Yeah. Cause he, he really like, uh, Neonta sort of self-actualizes, I guess is the word. Um, I think it's in the the fifth episode, the next to last, um, when they're up on the giant, like, you know, duster, Wild West robot. And yeah. uh, Mama Mia is like, yeah, it's also a hand. <laughs> and Mama Mia is like, uh, you know, Tasuku, like, save me, like his brother's name. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm me. I'm not my brother. <coughs> like, I'm going to save you. And don't ever call me Takun again. Like, he finally kind of like, believes in himself rather than uh, i don't know have you have you seen um either of you seen gurn lagan um i watched part of it and then i never finished it i, I feel like gurn lagan has some uh some shared identity with with fully cooly in the sense of some of the themes um shared shared creators too right uh, yeah it's gynex as well yeah yeah it's sort of funny too like how I, like I was reading some of the um, original design documents and pitch stuff for Fully Cooley, and originally uh, Nina Mori, like his his classmate, um, 
uh, the like sort of preppy girl. Uh, she originally was going to be more of like an Asuka kind of character where she was like his rival and constantly like berating him and like getting into fights with him and stuff, uh, huh. which would have, I don't know, set, that would have been a very different tone for the show. I'm kind of glad they they cut that. Yeah, me too. I, I like how there was there was a lot of affection going around and that mm. was why it was messy. Like there wasn't as much conflict mm. stuff. It was like the conflict came from all the weird affection. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Nina Mori, I don't know. I, I still don't, having watched the show like five or six times, I still don't know really. She's like the most mysterious character in the show to me. Because like other than like that third episode, that's kind of like all about her and like her her family relationships and stuff. She's sort of just in the background for all the rest of the show. You know, like she occasionally like is like seen hanging out with Neota's like two friends. Yeah. But barely has anything to do or say after that third episode. And I've always like wondered if, if like, I don't know, there was like more to that character that I'm just like missing or something. It could be, and this is just a uh, an immediate hot take, is that uh, it could be like that is she's the potential like healthiest relationship he could have, but it's just yeah, like, yeah, this time because she's like the same age and everything as he is, yeah, she's like, like and, an actual peer, yeah, yeah, and like it, it he's blind to her basically. Well, mm-hmm. and which is interesting too, because her episode ends with her like, "My glasses are fake," which is all this other really strange. Yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I still like. I still don't know exactly what was going on with that. I think that that was showing her growth, mm-hmm. because normally she's the kind of person to fake things to get what she wants. Yeah, and instead she's just like outright like look no it's fake um i don't know if that's what they were going for but that's kind of what hit me was like she's just admitting it um yeah because she she kind of falls within the square of being like a kid adult like she's a kid that acts like an adult because she has to because like her parents are getting a divorce like she's like the class president she has like all this like social pressure on her um Mm -hmm. and so maybe her being like my glasses are fake or just being like trying to just like be who she is and just be a kid instead of like attempting to also be an adult yeah yeah i think because the the girl at the beginning of that episode was trying really hard to be her parents and rig the election like her parents probably did i love that i love that little like like you just kind of infer that her parents cheated at the election because she learned yeah. to do that somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I think, yeah, I think that was her kind of like letting go of that. And yeah. something that struck me this time that I, I've never noticed before was along these lines at the, the very last scene where Nauta's actually hanging out with all the people from his class, including her. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you get this sense that like because he's explaining how Mamimi's gone yeah and it just felt like like everyone else is gone and he's just back with his classmates and he's individuated and so if you get this feeling like he's actually going to form relationships with those people now because he's worked worked some shit out yeah yeah no I I definitely see that yeah but I never noticed it before you know the other thing I realized is that like kind of lending support to this idea of like 
they're they might have future potential potential like that that might be the destiny or whatever uh is that she wanted him to play a cat and then his head actually produced cat ears mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like so there and i think that might be <laughs> be the only time where it's just sort of the weird stuff that grows out of his head seems to sync up with what someone walks around. Yeah, because he actually like his uh, NO channel in his head or whatever gets transferred to her. And that's why like at the end of that episode, like the robot comes out of her head and stuff. So that that would imply like they have some sort of like compatibility there. <laughs> I love, I love that. I love that. The, the process is it it creates a black hole in your head that then just like <laughs> fucking robots and other like <laughs> otaku bullshit yeah. pours out <laughs> so you actually completely blew my mind when you told me that um that he worked on end of, that, they, that he worked on end of eva yeah he directed uh episode 25 or 25 dash of evangelion which is the first half of end of evangelion right see that's that's absolutely like breaking my brain because i think this was the first time i'd watched through it where it really hit me just how much they're referencing ava like i knew they were i'm like like and i've heard like it was a thing i know but but i was getting it in ways that i hadn't before i was picking up on it in times when they'd flash to the control room and talk about what was going on with the robot and it, and it just it felt exactly <laughs> yeah. like they're talking about the angels from you know yeah um, <laughs> yeah that, that, was, that was fucking crazy um, the, the scenes were, with the immigration bureau i think like, are really really trying to be like nerve or whatever yeah, from Evan yeah. and like especially the episode with this like the satellite and the um that's almost i, I think like pretty closely an homage to I can't remember which episode of Evangelion it is, but the one with um, the the angel that's out in space, right? That yeah. they have to like throw the lance at. <laughs> which, yeah. which in itself, I think, is in some ways a reference to Akira and the Soul Satellite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although that's probably that's also probably a reference to some other anime or manga or something. Which is like, probably a reference like... to like a, a black project, like a Japanese black <laughs> project <laughs> from the seventies. Uh, that's, that's I wonder if 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 you're as a Japanese person that ends up in the like government. I wonder if you just end up endlessly disappointed that you're not like brooding in front like, <laughs> of giant screens. Where are my fucking yeah. Where are my fucking orange tinted sunglasses? God damn it! Yeah, really. <laughs> this is way too bright in here. What is this? These, these Why is Why isn't there a bank of four hundred screens in front of me? I don't understand. <laughs> I didn't get a job 34 like floors below sea level to not wear sunglasses. <laughs> like, look, I, I signed up for this job so that I could uh, break apart all of the things that keep us uh, from becoming closer and and unite all of our souls into a single egg, which I can meet my dead wife again. And you know, <laughs> look, I'm just a simple guy. I'm just a simple, a simple guy. I got simple needs. Yeah. <laughs> This this should really all be included in your benefits package. I don't understand. <laughs> That's definitely a uh, wow. How did they get from A to B on that one? How did he convince all these people? To <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of steps there. This this doesn't seem like the easiest, most direct route to anything. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <how did> you... <laughs> 
<clears throat> I think whenever the fourth uh, Ava Rebuild movie finally gets made and released, we will probably do like a oh, six it's released. Out. What the fourth? Yeah, yeah, it's out. Oh, it's out. Fuck. It's been out. Yeah, well, it came out like last year. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I read last thing I read was it was delayed because of COVID and I never heard anything else. Yeah, it did get delayed, uh, but it, it's out now. Like I watched well, it a while back, several months ago. Well, don't say anything. Okay, I'm not going to say anything because <laughs> yeah. I want to do like an eight-hour episode on, <laughs> on Ava. Okay, okay. <laughs> Just have like good. rotating guests, like two hours Look, with one person. <laughs> the thing you got to get about Ava, like I, I like Ava. I, I don't necessarily think Ava is overrated, but I think it really, really helps if pe- watching Ava, if you've seen stuff like Gunbuster, because Gunbuster mm. is a show that is made by a bunch of young guys with endless and like enthusiasm and like love of the art and like love what they're doing. Um, it's very amateurish in a lot of ways. It went way over budget to the point where the final climactic battle in the final episode um they didn't have money to animate it so it's just storyboards like (laughs) it's like indiana jones like just pulls out the gun and shoots him yeah (laughs) it's it's incredible and then like ano goes on to direct uh royal space force and it gets critically panned you know it's like this passion project for him and his team uh you know he puts his heart and soul into this thing and it gets critically panned everybody hates it and he like becomes like suicidally depressed and Ava is what comes out of that like depression right like Ava is like all right you fucks want to like you want you fucks want a story you want a super robot show okay like I'll give you a fucking super robot show because Ava is very mean to like people who are like fans of like super robot anime like even um the whole episode with like you know the american nuclear powered ava like jet alone or whatever yeah that whole episode is just like basically making fun of of super robot anime (laughs) and it's like um it it is funny like years later going back and rewatching ava after i spent years watching like actual super robot stuff um because at the time when like Ava came out, like the only robot stuff in the US, other than like stuff like from back in the day, like Voltron or whatever, was uh, stuff like Gundam, right? Which falls into the real robot genre, which is very different in tone than sort of the Saturday morning, you know, like like yeah. kids show basically yeah, that like Gund- a lot of super robot stuff was. Gundam was you like know, half politics. Yeah, exactly. And like the the super robot stuff that Ava is is more directly commenting on and like homaging is stuff like, you know, like Die Turn 3 or Combatler, Voltez, uh, you know, it's this stuff where it's like each episode, you know, there was like a new monster. It's actually closer in tone, I think, to stuff like Sentai stuff, like Power Rangers than like any <laughs> other robot uh, anime, you know. Have you, there was a, there was an American, this is, my experience is that of, uh, is there was a show called Transor Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is, I think, is actually Muzzinger or something in Japan, maybe. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, Rindizer. But yeah, similar. Rinda, same, yeah. yeah, same thing. Yeah, you're, yeah. it's like, and, and actually, it's funny because it, it like, I think in Transor Z, he comes out of an Olympic swimming pool or something. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. there's always this, like, this is always this emerging from like underground, this underground mm-hmm. base. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. That whole idea of like having that sort of base that the robot comes out of, like that's directly from old Super Robot anime, like yeah. Mazinger or, or um, Get a Robo or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't surprise me at all that like Anno went on to direct stuff like Shin Godzilla. And I think he's doing like an Ultraman movie right now. Yeah, uh, Ultraman, and then there's also, there's another one, uh, another classical, like, weird, uh, it's like this Mantis-looking guy on a motorcycle, I forget what it's called. <laughs> oh, he's doing a Common Rider? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Oh, yeah. shit, I didn't realize that, that's awesome, yeah. I love Common Rider. I don't know what half of the stuff that you've uh name that you've like dropped on this episode are but it's, it's awesome it's awesome <laughs> yeah, to talk I'll, to someone who knows you. this much i'll hook you up with some old super robot stuff because if nothing else it's like just fun to watch like stuff like um <clears throat> like Dietarn 3 is cool uh because it's a show it was the show that um fucking what is his name the gundam guy tamino it's the show that he worked on before gundam right and like mm, gundam okay. comes out of like his dislike of doing shows like Dietarn 3 because just like American <laughs> cartoons, they were made to sell toys. You right. Know? Like that's why they have all these like combining robots and stuff because they can sell a bunch of different toys, right? Like that's the whole concept. Um, and so like Dietarn 3 is cool. Like combat, I have a soft spot for like Combat V just because I don't know, it's really goofy. There's some really funny episodes of it. Um, like uh, Galaxy Space Force Briger is really fun. But like all this stuff is like, it doesn't take itself very seriously. It's very much like Saturday morning cartoon stuff. Um, and it's, it, if you have, a, if you're versed in it a little more, like watching something like Evangelion, like some of the, like some of the references and some of what he's trying to say in it make a lot more sense. Um, Cause like, I, I feel like we lack the cultural context. Cause there's, there's some stuff in Fully Cooley too that I, I feel like I lack the proper cultural context context to like understand like the joke here or like what what's going on, you oh, know, like God. in that yeah in that like first if... little comic book sequence, you know, where it's like the manga panels or whatever in the first episode. Um, like I know in my head that they're making a bunch of like puns and like wordplay jokes that don't translate at all unless you like yeah. know Japanese, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I also, and I figure like if half of the if half of the show is is references to anime, I do get the reference to. Like, mm -hmm. then the other half has got to be like packed of shit that I just have no clue culturally. Yeah, <laughs> which actually that's funny. That reminds me is like I would I would love to find uh, just an audio clip of that. Like, I, th I think she's saying mouth to mouth or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> one, one little mouth. second. Yeah. <laughs> There's just there's so many one-liners in Fully Cooley that stuck with me for years after I watched the show the first time and would just repeat like mantras. Um, really weird how that works. They just became like these, maybe like a way to tap into the weird dreamy feeling of the show in my daily life. I think that might have been what it actually was. You know, it's it's funny, uh, Brian. You're like you're like I don't know what ninety percent of this shit is, and I'm like, you know what? I don't actually either. But I did I did when I was in a when I was a teenager. I bought a copy of a magazine called Hobby <laughs> Japan. <laughs> that was just all it was was a model magazine that it was like a it was like a catalog thick. It was it was huge, mm -hmm. and it just was like images of all these different things from like 
Japan's pop culture. So it was like mm-hmm. hundreds of Gundams, Common Rider was in it, like mm-hmm. Ultraman, like fucking everything. But but I only had this magazine in my imagination because I had no idea how to access any of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so so it was it was always this wonderful, like mysterious tome that I had that I'm like, this is th- there's there's some bigger, grander world that this is a part of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's um and it's it's sort of funny because like I have uh like it like it sounds like Rin, like you have a deep knowledge of anime like i am very um there's a couple of key points that i i have an interest through like akira like i have the mm-hmm. entire akira graphic novel series it's one of my favorite things ever mm-hmm. um um and of course i've seen the movie a bunch of times but there's just like this vast scope of material that's out there of oh, yeah. like of like anime and like and manga and like all the different references and um it is kind of cool when you when you get those things or mm-hmm. like like i imagine with fully coolly like what you're talking about like all these other shows like you watch these and then suddenly it would make fully coolly make even more sense yeah yeah there's yeah. some definite like especially his dad his dad is where most of the anime references come from right because there's like just a, a gag straight out of lupon the third with like the boxing glove that like comes out of Haruko's like pants or whatever and like yeah. away. Like that's literally just a joke from Lupin. Um and then he <laughs> makes like reference to like uh Monkey Sama and that's like that's the guy who wrote uh Lupin. Like um, Okay. And like uh like Amro's eyebrows I mentioned before, it's like there's no way that's not like a Duke Togo Go Go thirteen like reference. Go Go thirteen, yeah. Yeah, he's like the yeah, same. Yeah, that whole eyebrows. that whole episode I think is is like or the whole gun episode, I feel like is. Oh like, yeah, maybe. And and that was another thing. I, I. I mean, this this whole show is so playful in the animation. One of my favorite things is, uh, is like, uh, his the eyebrow guy's like second in command. That woman who's like shows up with the sniper rifle. Yeah. And I love I love that every time she takes a shot in the background is like they're like nine hundred shells. Like it, like each time yeah. you pull the trigger, it like runs through an entire ammo box. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she was the only actual adult in the whole show. <laughs> she might have been. Yeah, also, no, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I may be wrong, but were his eyebrows actually like seaweed paper? Yeah, it's, it's a little nori. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch that. I never got. <laughs> I also love how, like, yeah, it's God, it's such a good commentary on on males, like in general. Mm-hmm. Good God, like I, I really carried a lot of that um, with me from that age when I first mm-hmm. saw it, because it was like, oh, fucking somebody else sees it too. Like, it's not just me. It's like it's a real thing. Because um, I didn't find any representations of like people saying that men are all just fucking babies, like in my mm-hmm. own culture. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing this and just being like, oh, thank God. Like, I'm not alone. This is a real thing. Uh, men are all just play acting. <laughs> like, Yeah. I don't think there's like a single adult male in the show that isn't like a fraud. Isn't just like, like his dad is a is a, like a loser. Like yeah. the, the implication that like, you know, it, it's never implied that Naoto's mom is like dead or anything. It, I, I just always assumed she left him because he was a loser. Yeah, you know, like she divorced him or something. Um, you know, his grandpa's like an old 
pervert, and <laughs> the only other adult male is like Avril. He's a complete fraud himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, potentially, maybe his brother was, and that's why his brother had to leave. Because <laughs> like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, his brother's. Yeah, his brother's kind of the only like positive male figure pro that was in his life, and so his his like the fact that he's gone, I think that's why he latches on so closely to Haruko, right? Because she's mm -hmm. she he sees Haruko as like a mature person, yeah. you know, even though she's not. Well, and it's also like probably hungering for a stable like mature older figure in general so like yeah. the brother leaves and it, it leaves this vacuum um and then you're also at that age where you're discovering boners so mm -hmm. it's like the lady the strong <laughs> lady is, is the is the logical the logical place to land I mean, sure, she occasionally beats you with a bass guitar, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's kind of hot. It's for your own know. good. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. Also, I loved, I loved when that, because this is a very, this is a very anime thing where um, I think it was, I think it was in the, when they're, he's fighting the, the cloaked duster robot mm -hmm. where it, it's Atomica comes, comes through the robot mm -hmm. and, uh, and he pulls out the Gibson SG, and they're like, "Oh my God, the Gibson!" And they give the number. And Gibson EB zero, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. nineteen sixty one model. It's an EB zero. Yeah, it's a it's a fancy base. And I love, I love the, that when they like the uh, the whole idea of like how the robots and anime everything always fits together to become more powerful. But in this case, they were just like, "Nah, it's a double neck guitar, bitch." Yeah. <laughs> your flying v and your gibson merge together <laughs> there's like a there's some kind of like phallic symbolism going on too with the guitars because like the whole scene where she pulls out naota's guitar for the first time like out of his head mm -hmm. um there's like all you know like all of the, the all of the dialogue is like sexual innuendo yeah um to the point where like the people in the nerve control center are like their noses are like bleeding or whatever um <laughs> that was so great because it's like so hot or whatever uh <laughs> but then later on on you know when she pulls a guitar out of uh, amara's head she's like oh yours is like tiny like <laughs> yeah yours is yours is always like really <laughs> tiny or whatever it's funny because it <clears throat> they definitely put that spin on it but my own like actual take is that mm. like it, it feels like the guitars were more like uh how much true will do you have um oh, yeah. mm -hmm. like so so it's interesting because like everyone in the show sees it and they they kind of equate it to something sexual but mm. it isn't necessarily it's just their willpower um their sense of like self and determination so yep yeah and no, that's, but that's, it's no. Yeah, it's, it's great because that's how it works too. Like if you have that, it gets interpreted sexually, right? Yeah, no, it, it, there's like a, you know, inexorable link between like that force of will and like uh, like your own sexuality, you know, like yeah. how other people are attracted to you. Other people are attracted to people who are like supremely self-confident and, and sure of themselves. And when you're not confident and then it does some weird kind of like folding in on itself uh, weirdness, that's when like there's this sexual confidence that's like distorted and fucked up <laughs> it's <laughs> like yeah because otherwise you just become like a uh 
like one of those guys that pretends they don't actually want a mate. What's it called again? Oh, yeah. Uh, the MGTOWs, like the men going their own way. Oh, is that? I've never heard that. That wasn't what I was thinking of. Oh. Are, you thinking of <laughs> are you thinking of incels? Is that the incels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. okay, for, for like two whole years, I thought incel meant uh, like, uh, a, like a CIA asset. <laughs> they were in a cell. That's what you mean. Oh, like, that's incredible. Like, like, yeah. Like, no, we got incels. They're, it's, they're, there's a mole. You may be more right they're than in you a terrorist cell, so they're Right. That's, that's kind of funny, too, because I'm like, no way, this is actually a real movement. Um, and there's so many fucking weird movements that I'm like, all of these are psyops. Like, yeah specifically within the incel world there's like uh the the MGTOWs or men going their own way which explicitly are like um I don't need a woman ever like uh I'm better off without women in my life have you ever it's, have have they heard of uh being gay <laughs> I just man it's it, that whole sub community subculture is like so dark like I yeah I try to stay away from as far as I can like I was for a little while following some like uh like Twitter bot that was talking about it was like um like screenshots of like incel dms or whatever to like girls mm -hmm. and it was like the first one was like funny and then it was like oh shit this is really dark <laughs> like yeah this gets incredibly dark incredibly fast Huh. before before that became a term there used to be there was another one called forever alone oh which, yeah yeah which I, I don't know actually if it was like parallel or came before i think it maybe slightly came alone came before but it was this it's so like bleak and defeatist and the and like i remember encountering it, it was like as a subreddit and i'm like oh fuck i could have been one of these guys if i if like i i could have saw myself yeah. like like complete because it just feeds into itself like that mm. misery they just yeah it be, like it becomes like how they go about the world it's like the whole world's against you and there's no there's no escaping it it's just yeah it's it is very very dark and despairing yeah that's how i felt at 12-step programs <laughs> really yeah. it's like you have to you have to accept that this is always going to be a weight on your shoulders and like mm -hmm. you you can never live a regular life like you're always going to be fighting this and you always have to come back here and hear other people's horror stories and refresh your drama for the rest of mm -hmm. your life to stay healthy I, I knew a guy i see internet friends with a guy who was uh an incel and i like got him banned from a grocery store uh, because I encouraged him to talk to this girl at a grocery store that he like liked. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck he said, but he bombed so incredibly bad that he got banned from the grocery store. And I actually Jesus. felt kind of bad about that because I was like, just trying to encourage this guy to be like, you know, just like talk to her. Like, you know, just just don't. Oh, be man. Weird. I guess now, it was weird. Now he's got incel <laughs> tattoos. Yeah. No, he became like a big Gamergate guy back when that was the thing. And he's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's like, um, man, he was like threatening me. Like if I didn't, uh, if, if I didn't stop supporting like, um, female game developers or something that like, he couldn't save me. He's like, I can't do anything to protect you. And I was like, <laughs> what the, 
the fuck are you talking about <laughs> and just like blocked him and i, and I like, haven't talked to him since it's just like jesus what the fuck are you talking about guy you have a really you have a really interesting internet life <laughs> i feel like i've been like on the on the fringes of like all of these like big things like like gamergate and i've never been like in the trenches of them because i don't want to be like i don't want to be like in 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 these actual things but i i've sort of yeah, that, way, that way lies madness <laughs> yeah just... yeah i mean honestly it's like one reason i i don't have my own podcast because i kind of like just appearing on other people's podcasts like and maintaining <laughs> this air of mystery you know and just like this guy <laughs> that just shows up in different places <laughs> that's great <laughs> like some peripheral character written in to add mystery to life yeah i mean my my old internet handle used to be mr apol uh from the mothman prophecies because i always appreciated how he was just this character that was like on the fringes and would appear and then disappear and and i don't know i was like that's that's who i want to be <laughs> you're doing it <laughs> yeah that's that's cool though like being um being aware of those fringe things as they happen but not being too so wrapped up in them that you're like emotionally engaged um mm -hmm. yeah that that enables you to have like i mean that puts you in the perfect position to have great commentary uh especially mm -hmm. having a magical perspective too like mm -hmm. yeah like i mean fuck if, if you if you just like rambled about shit on the internet for an hour or two once a week like i would listen to it faithfully i mean i'm not <laughs> trying to convince you to i'm just saying like I, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's fascinating. Like most of the time, what you're posting about, I don't actually already know about what it is at all. And then wow. I go and look it up and I'm like, well, this is interesting as fuck. Unless it's about crypto and then I don't care. But yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, yeah. nobody needs to care about that shit. Um, <laughs> it's pretty much, yeah, uh, looks like it's ending anyway. So yeah, for a while at least. Um, right. You know, right. Rip, rip to anyone who bought in the last two years sorry if i encouraged you i'm sorry you lost a bunch of money but um i didn't so <laughs> well I'm good you you were just acting as like a shaman in their life to 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 show them that they should uh follow their own confidence and not listen to some guy on twitter right <laughs> exactly i was teaching them a valuable lesson about how they shouldn't take uh financial advice from strangers on the internet now if you were a fucking yogi you would have charged them a lot of money for that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, magicians were, you know, a lot of philanthropy going on mm -hmm. with magicians. People just don't appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, some people call, them, call it scams or, yeah. or grifting, but yeah, no, no, philanthropy is actually. <laughs> you know, that's like a, a thing that I'll never quite understand about myself because like I have a real soft spot in my heart for like carnies and grifters. Like I love people who kind of can run a good scam you know I, I love it um i don't mind being scammed myself if, if it was a good scam you know <laughs> like if they really got me it's sort of just like you know easy come easy go uh, but like something still irritates me about that kind of stuff in in like the occult right like yeah. people who charge like money on a patreon or something to like teach people magic you know or like claim to teach people magic and it, it's like, it's a tough thing because it's like, yeah, I understand if people want to like make a living off of what they're passionate about. Like, 
I don't, I've, I don't mind paying for like divination services or like astrologers to do like, you know, elections or whatever for me. Like I've always happily paid for that kind of stuff, but there's something about like edu like charging for education. That's like always rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just like my own, like I've had people like want me to like teach them stuff. And I've always thought like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. How, how could I like respect myself trying to teach other people hmm. like to do magic, you know, like I, I barely, I feel like I barely know how to do magic myself, you know, and I'm not getting any younger. It's like, I, I don't know. It's just strange to me that like, there's people that are in their like early twenties that are, uh, you know, charging people $15 a month or something to learn magic. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I really uh, feel that. Um, I feel that a lot, actually, because I felt pushed by my spirits to put together this course. Like, I didn't, mm -hmm. I thought it was something that was going to take me like a year or two to put together mm -hmm. and like be this big deal that I slaved over. And, and I did mm -hmm. slave over it, but it ended up being like a couple months that I worked on it to get mm -hmm. it like kind of put together. And, and it was like, they, they, they wanted me to do this. So yeah. And like, but, but I don't, I don't want to like ever say I, I teach, I don't, I don't ever teach people anything. Yeah. I don't teach oh, well. anyone anything. What I do is I put together documents that have like references, like links to videos Yeah, that yeah. Give, that give them context. So they're doing the work themselves. And then like, mm -hmm. I've compiled things that are like, these are practices that will do these things for you. Um, yeah. And yeah, you, but it's, it's it's giving people str a structure, right? That's often, but it's that's often the thing that's missing is like, yeah, how do I start? Well, here's a here's a scaffolding that you can build on, and then yeah. over time you can yeah. replace the parts of, and you'll discover and it, what belongs there and what doesn't. And like a big part of it is is encouraging them to like alter any of the practices in it to to suit their own you know tastes or whatever so it's yeah. like this process of like you need to figure out how to make this work for you too um yeah and i'm here to kind of like talk about that if you like in any way and help any way that i can but yeah but what i found is like judging from the feedback that i get from people uh mm. it seems like some of the most helpful things not just for me but like in general that some of the most helpful shit for people that are starting out is hearing people just say like what their experience was without. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think people feel like really afraid to do that because of having to qualify everything with now this is just UPG or blah, blah, blah. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. But like, I could go the rest of my fucking life without <laughs> hearing UPG ever again. Like, thank you. Same. Who fucking cares? It's an experience. It's your experience. That, that the, it's implied. You, nobody has to say that. If you're listening to this, like if anybody tells any anything you experienced was your unverified personalness, just tell them to fuck off. Okay. <laughs> you have yes. my permission. And that's officially uh sponsored by Soapbox. <laughs> that statement. Um officially endorsed. That's yeah, because it's it's a removal of like <sighs> okay, because this this pisses me off a lot because. Like if I say Neil Gaiman's a so-so writer <laughs> without qualifying, like in my opinion, mm -hmm. 
then people are like, well, you're just saying it as if it's like a fact of the world. And it is a fact of the world, but that's besides yeah. the point. Um, <laughs> the, the point fuck, is, fuck that in my opinion shit. No, literally. If, if it, yeah, my, if it's, uh, sorry. One of the message boards I used to post on a lot was the, uh, um, I, I can't remember if this is on the large, yeah, it was on the large prime numbers forum, uh, like Tim Rogers forum from back in the day. Um, and it had a bot in it that would, anytime you wrote, uh, in my opinion, it would change it to like, uh, hiding under the skirt of my mother called opinion or something like that. It was like, it would make it out like, <laughs> yeah, don't ever say in my opinion, like uh. that is implied. It's okay to like, just say stuff like, you know, you don't ever have to say in my opinion. But it's, it's really like, people being kind of strong-armed and forced into fear around that right there's this yeah. like we're gonna fucking string you up by your toes if you say anything without yeah. all these qualifiers well, but it's people it, are fucking terrified of being wrong like you know like i kind of get it it's online like you'll have some fucking psycho who will like search your twitter account like and pick something you said like five years ago and repost it as if that like reflects who you are now at all um <laughs> but like yeah people are just terrified of being wrong people are terrified of uh, i was actually talking to somebody about this earlier that a lot of people don't actually have any real like thoughts of their own they only mm -hmm. think stuff that other people will not yell at them on the internet about you know like their only opinion is whatever makes people like not mad at me you know well it's to, like, fuck fuck that well to actually and to take it even further that might be they might have their own thoughts but that they will not express them yeah and so That's they might really, not even exist like they might yeah, as well not exist yeah like um but i mean it also gets into the whole thing like what, what i mean what is social media what is the point of it anyway <laughs> yeah. well yeah. okay okay so so the point of it is to collect data it's basically westworld but um, but I think their data is worse and worse and worse. But that's, well, that's the, what the I'm point saying. Is if no one, if no one, yeah. well, the point of it for the users is to like have fun with your friends. Okay. In theory, yeah. Like that's what the, it's supposed to be. It, it's not meant to like be the place where you engage in fucking discourse or like conversation or anything like that. It's the place where you like hang out with your buddies, you know, and like shit posts and stuff. Anything beyond that, I just feel like you're you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's more of the core. That's what it was like ten years ago. Yeah, and and it's it's gotten wallpapered over with this like, I don't know. It feels like the what was the main what was more mainstream was like oh shit we're losing control of stuff so we're gonna we're gonna glom on and like putty up. Uh, this internet thing with our bullshit for a while and then we're only going to reference that so that's what everybody thinks yeah. is actually the is actually the discourse and is actually the internet when it, it's always been it's always been like oh here's a random forum about fucking building your own mandolin or whatever yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no you can't you can't collect all this metadata and train advertising ais uh unless you collect everyone into a central platform right where you can monitor them all in the same place you can't do that 
with the old internet that was like an archipelago of tiny little communities and islands, you know, like I remember posting on five or six different forums, right? It, any one of those forums never had more than 50 concurrent users, you know, maybe, maybe 500 people for some of the bigger forums. And, you know, there were like really intense personal relationships that developed in these like tiny communities. I mean, I feel like stuff like Rune Soup is like some of the last vestiges of that kind of older internet. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people today who like grew up with nothing but like Facebook and and uh, like Twitter, <laughs> like have no idea like what the Internet used to be like, how it used to be all these little islands where uh, people would just get banned. And like you'd have all these like, uh, you know, in jokes and stuff that would apply only to your tiny little corner of the Internet. <laughs> you know, it was like the real world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was like kind of hard to find stuff yeah yeah it was yeah like well now that's how of, it's becoming that way of, again yeah there's a lot of web rings i don't know if you remember <laughs> web rings. i remember web rings yeah i think it's interesting if if social media is basically there to collect data and create digital twins and all that like but everyone is afraid to express their actual opinions yeah it's becoming its own self-referential nonsense yeah like it's, like, like it, it's, it becomes enclosed and just loops in on itself and but it, it's almost like the yeah the people the people aren't representing themselves anymore um not accurately yeah and, it, but, well, but it's, it's almost like that's that's just being psyoped into prep for social credit because it doesn't matter what you actually think as long as you know how to behave mm -hmm. so so maybe that's like maybe they collected enough data in like the 2000s <laughs> and they were just like you know as we hear about them collecting data and that becomes an issue it's already over and they've already like made the digital twins and then start pushing towards behavioral control instead i don't know yeah your digital twin gets roko basilisked and it's just being tortured in the metaverse for all eternity <laughs> <laughs> that's some seriously fucking terrifying magic to think about your digital twin <laughs> Man, that's what the, I kind of like, though, because, like, I'm not super anal about privacy. I mean, like, I had a, uh, like, a top secret clearance at one point, so I had to go through all the process that you have to go through to do all that, uh, which was within a single year of me getting leaked uh, due to the uh, Office of Personnel Management breach that happened. So, like, literally every detail of my entire life, including, like, the details of my divorce, my family relationships and everything, just... Is all over like Russian darknet forums, I'm sure. Um, so I don't care that much about being doxxed. I mean, obviously, like I use my real name online and stuff. Uh, I have pictures of me. But like, I also use a lot of privacy related stuff in my day to day life, like in terms of like the browser I use and like how I'm tracked on the internet and like how I move around. And the funniest part of that is how things like ads on Twitter, like have no fucking idea who I am. And mm -hmm. I will get like the weirdest, most like specific ads for things like uh, like <laughs> like really specific biochemistry, like machinery and stuff. And then sometimes get like absolutely uh, like just I was getting all of these ads for like some kind of very specific medication that like and I really think it's because like the algorithm just doesn't know who I am and like doesn't know what I want. You know, 
And there's like a certain, I don't know, there's like a certain power in that and just sort of being um, a chameleon to, to the algorithms. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, there is a, I'm sure there's some people that do this. I'm, I, I imagine that, that even if it doesn't happen now, it will be a thing in the future where people like, they will like pretend to act certain ways to get to transform that to get access to different things i could see yeah. that being, yeah yeah um being either something that's currently happening or definitely in the near future uh where you just sort of make a bullshit profile you you interact with it i'm sure people would probably you could probably run a program that would like click on you just create a fake habit habitual habit that it does mm -hmm. and then that would twist up the algorithms yeah seems like yeah, algorithmic warfare yeah <laughs> you'd probably have to have it hooked up to your actual account though because everything is going to be like biometrically confirmed yeah so you, you just like... have a you have your own ai that whenever you're not actively using your accounts is utilizing your accounts for you and like using some kind of like I don't like Gaussian distribution to like click random stuff and just like go to random websites and try to, or like maybe you train it to, to give a certain profile, you know, like it goes certain places that, and like allows itself to be tracked in order to uh, feed garbage into the algorithm. Yeah. Huh. That's <laughs> It's stupid we have to think about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that this is even a thing in our minds is so dumb. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do but, appreciate uh, to an extent like how how cyberpunk things have gotten, um, even if it's like shitty cyberpunk. You know, it's not like cool. Like we we wear like, you know, giant sunglasses and hack into the the mainframes and stuff but like well maybe you don't but i mean I wear <laughs> all the damn time. look i'm just waiting for like i just want uh shadow run to be a thing like i remember oh. uh like austin saying something about like wanting the shadow run version of the cyberpunk future and i'm like yes i was like that's why the u.s needs to balkanize all our states get broken up and our, our map ends up just being the map from shadow run that's <laughs> amazing i just like brought this up the other day I, I feel like we're we're headed towards that future but it's not for like a couple hundred years yeah well do you think like, there's going to be like uh like orcs and and elves and stuff yes because i think we're heading into the dominant of witchcraft and uh it will slowly but surely become commonly accepted and believed that magic is real that spirits are real that the invisible is and the imaginal are all real mm -hmm. and through that I think, you know, this concept that's been proven that um, paranormal events occur more often in societies that believe in them or in cultures yeah, yeah. that believe in them. So mm -hmm. if the entire world is resonating with that belief at some point, then I think we're going to get creatures that used to feel comfortable here walking around again. And then like, at least for the idea of like fiction writing, like, holy shit, like open mm -hmm. that up to like, if things started walking around in this world again and becoming more interactive with it, eating our food, becoming more and more tangible and incarnate mm -hmm. and like to the point where they start engaging with our society, our culture, our laws, um, we could end up having something weird happen where it, where it, 
it then goes awry again. <laughs> like, like mm. this technocratic idea, like it's like a ripple, right? Like maybe, maybe this is the last time that this whole big uh, thing that wants to kind of compartmentalize all of life and ideas and, and pin everything down like a butterfly in a, in a, in a like yeah. a display case but like maybe this is the last time it does it but the ripples like there are waves in the future where it like rises up but not as much um <laughs> i totally think like a couple hundred years from now like everything's going pretty well with the dominant of witchcraft but then like there's a little blip and yeah and we could have some crazy shadow run shit happen well i i and it completely parallel but not as a maybe not quite as magical version i could also see like just really weird out there elective plastic surgery just becoming more and more normalized mm -hmm. and then like so you want to grow fur okay well we actually figured out like a gene sequence that could do that and we'll fucking inject it or we'll just literally stamp fur into your face wherever yeah, you want yeah. it so you can be you know a fox kin or whatever the fuck you know like <laughs> Like I, I, I mean, there's already there's already hints of this, but the but but if if the world if technology is becoming will become more and more the biological, I could totally see that being a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we were headed for some weirdness back in 2019 or so, like before the mm -hmm. pandemic. I remember um, I was listening to a lot of like uh, like Bigfoot related shows and paranormal shows and stuff back then and um maybe it hasn't changed at all i just haven't been keeping up with that stuff as much as i used to but i remember there being a real sense that like things were getting really weird out there like there were reports of people seeing like pterodactyls and like centaurs and shit like <laughs> things were getting the the reports that were coming into these like shows and the people that i knew were getting increasingly like uh, in, intensely bizarre um, and it could have just been a build-up to the pandemic like to mm -hmm. that event happening and, and sort of being this psychic wound that has been inflicted upon us over the last two years because um, I don't know I mean I, maybe I just haven't been focusing maybe a lot of that weird shit's still going on I, like I remember it probably in, is yeah well it's also yeah. I remember in 2020 like um going to the Bigfoot Museum in Georgia uh, with a group of people. And, and the guy who ran it was telling me how, like, the majority of the reports that he gets in are, uh, like, paranormal in nature. Like, the Bigfoots, like, you know, have, like, super bright glowing red eyes or, like, levitate or disappear in front of, right in front of people or uh, just all kinds of, like, supernatural stuff going on around them. And that the local, you know, like uh, the different agencies that collect these reports, like throw those out uh, yeah. as a matter of practice um, because they want to seem respectable. Um, but yeah, I mean, this guy told me that like every day he gets in a report and almost all of them have some sort of paranormal element to them. That That's uh, I was it's funny that you say that because the it what I was thinking the same thing, because that's often a lot of like ufo and extraterrestrial encounters mm -hmm. are have they a lot of them get discarded because they're just so weird yeah um, like um like it's like they i saw the cartoon character scooby-doo and he came and he yeah. fucking like it's that weird it's that strange um yeah. and they're immediately like we're tossing this so it's it's like we 
we only get the very tip of the iceberg of how weird things actually are yeah dude the the scariest fucking story anybody has ever told me was my uh my ex uh wife's sister once told me that when she was a little kid like they grew up in a trailer and one time she was playing outside and she heard like somebody under the trailer and she looked under the trailer and there was chief quimby from inspector gadget he was like under Whoa. there um not like a guy that looked like chief quimby but like like the cartoon character cartoon character like, yeah <laughs> and she like screamed and like ran back inside and just like the mental image of that is like good god that's that's real nightmare fuel so ren maybe you know something about this um mufon uh doesn't mufon kind of have some shady shit where they kind of do the same thing where they kind of flush out yeah. a lot of stories and yeah they, I mean, they, 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 they like shit. Oh, and don't they like own the rights to all of them? I don't know about the rights stuff. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, um, all of these fucking UFO organizations are like spooked to the fucking kills. Yeah. Um, Jack Brewer has done a lot of good work in exposing a lot of those links. Um, uh, so I encourage anyone to go check out Jack Brewer's books on this stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't trust any of those ufo you know investigation agencies or anything as far as they could throw them they might as well not even fucking exist in my opinion yeah i, I definitely felt uh i wanted to bring that up because i i know i don't trust fucking move on because i i heard that they they actually own the rights to all the stories that that yeah. anyone reports which means they can cherry pick which ones to re-represent in uh history channel bullshit shows yeah so they can choose to feed everyone's consciousness with like only the ones that match the narrative they want to represent um, exactly yeah the narrative that they're being told to spread and uh the fact that they moved to their headquarters to cincinnati near the kentucky vortex um really like sparks like that was within the past four years they moved there what's the kentucky vortex i've never heard of that uh yeah it's the the giant magnetic field over kentucky and the um oh that's the thing lavenda talks about in sinister forces right rob yeah and it, and it comes it's in it's mentioned in hellier as well oh okay um and the the and the fact the guys they talked to then they did a podcast about kentucky specifically called the penny royal podcast Oh yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. Which is a which is that specific region? I think in Kentucky is called the Penny Royal Plateau or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, like God, the fucking Great Saltpeter Preserve is where um, my best friend uh, that I mentioned about my beginnings of Fooly Cooly mm -hmm. um, in recent years, like uh, the past four years, we've been going. Um, before I moved to Denmark, we've been going down to Kentucky to go caving. And that was before I saw Hellier. Like we'd spent so many hours in those caves, like 10 minute drive from Somerset. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you ever Sleep see anything weird? Sleeping in them on, well, I, so one of the first few times we went and you are not supposed to go with less than like five people. But yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the first few times we went, it was just the two of us on mushrooms. Oh, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. <laughs> Um, it, it was a fairly light dose and I, you know, I'm very, very comfortable with that ally. Um, yeah. I actually feel more capable, uh, 
when I have that ally than I do normally. Mm -hmm. So we found a nice room in the cave uh, and just laid down for a while and then got up to leave. And I, I didn't like, it wasn't like seeing something, but it was, there was a spirit like in mm. front of me, like we're crawling. And then it was like, I, he's behind me, my friend's behind me. And I'm like, I can't go forward because there's someone here. Mm. <laughs> like, um, and it was someone I later had a really dramatic experience with and still have no idea. Like it was initiatory and crazy. And I'm pretty sure it was the same spirit that I mm. ran into that night, but I, I still don't know who it was. Um, but I never had anything other than that. Um, but there were some cool things we found in the caves. Like, I mean, clearly there were some local like wannabe witches doing some shit there, but yeah. there was also some Solomonic looking seals that didn't match any spirit from a list um, in oh, a different cool. in a different place that mm -hmm. um, was a little bit lesser traveled, and that was like looking at the seal made me feel like it was definitely active which was really interesting it was like someone actually put the seal on the wall of the fucking cave which dick move because it was spray paint but like um interesting to know someone was definitely doing some successful and active shit there isn't wasn't there like a whole like um thalema adjacent group doing stuff uh in cincinnati like um something about like they opened a portal and didn't close it or something god what was that fucking group called i don't know I, it seems like this story about a portal being opened in that area and not closed is something that repeats though because that's i think it was on penny royal they talk about the story about like that there were uh there was a native american tribe that their their shamans went dark when they were desperate and i think they're related I, I might be I might be wrong, but I think they're related to the Cherokee somehow. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. I but I, I that I remember that standing out specifically because I, I I looked that up because that was really fascinating. Like they they killed every every shaman that was in in their tribe. <laughs> uh, and they, they they don't exactly explain what happened exactly, I don't think. No, um, or, and, they, and they buried yeah. them face down. I think they said. Which is, yeah. If you find a corpse buried face down, don't fucking touch it, run away. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have an, an ex-girlfriend, um, one of my, and we were best friends for like years after we dated, uh, whose father worked for a Native American tribe and repatriated bodies like from museums and shit he would he would go get bodies and he would get um artifacts and things and then go put them back in the in the ground where they belonged um but he was also like a spiritual healer and he was one of the first people i ever met that like kind of confirmed like the first adult i ever knew in my life that kind of confirmed for me uh that shit is like real um but he had stories about like <laughs> <laughs> they called him one time to be like like because he's if someone was digging to do construction and they found something they'd call him immediately um to have him come look at it and take care of it and whatnot and they, sometimes they would not be able to build there and 
one of the times they were like, yeah, we found some bodies that were, uh, he's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're buried face down though. And he was like, <laughs> you're on your own. Uh, I wouldn't build there. Um, I'm not coming out. Goodbye. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. They probably did fucking build there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably. And there's probably somebody like losing their fucking mind. Like everyone in that place is probably having a horrible time. But yeah, no, I didn't get really involved with like basically when I was in Ohio, I lived out in the country with my family and and I only I'd only like thank God found rune soup. And I I met up with a couple local groups, but I was just it was very neo-pagan stuff. It was very um very <laughs> fashion focused, I'd say. I don't remember how long did you spend in Ohio? Uh, I think my life collapsed and I got clean in 2018. Okay, so not a, not an ex, not an extensive amount of time. I it's it's funny because like my experience of Ohio is it's a place everyone leaves. <laughs> like I've only met people that are like, yeah, I'm from Ohio, and I was like, and they're they they're like, I'm never going back. They just like <laughs> escape. <laughs> um so i'm wondering like what it's what it's because uh, it, it's funny because it used to be there's a point where it was almost like the financial heart of the u.s because uh fucking what's his name rockefeller started out of there mm-hmm. um huh. standard oil i believe and there was a bunch of oil fields and i think in ohio if i'm not mistaken yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't grow up there or anything. I grew up in Florida, but um, both sides of my family are from Ohio. So um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of cornfields and it makes sense that you'd meet a lot of people that leave there and are happy they left there because like there's a whole big world out there to experience and stuff. But given that I didn't grow up there and I, I had all my like city life fulfillment beforehand, once I got there and I was like, I was just so thankful to be in the middle of nowhere where nothing happened at all. (laughs) Yeah. Like that was, that was, that was exactly what I fucking needed. I didn't need meetings. I needed solitude and nature and family. Um, But I think Cincinnati is a really cool city. I've only ever driven through Cincinnati. I've never actually visited. Spent some time in like Louisville and in that area, but never there i i don't i wouldn't say there's like things that i would be like you gotta go do this in cincinnati except the (laughs) except the big art museum because it's one of the hugest collections in the world and it's free um it's it's an incredible incredible collection there um but other than that it's just like kind of knowing a little bit of history about it and then going and just feeling the vibe yeah that's what was cool to me about it because there's I mean, it was like the the front line of the Underground Railroad, um, mm-hmm. and it's a city where the river goes north a little bit um, and is cradled by the river. And I always I always love river cities, like New Orleans has a river going north next mm-hmm. to it. So so there's just this weird shit. Um, yeah, that's what I like about living in Minneapolis. Is I'm like I'm literally like within walking distance of Mississippi. Um, 
like I, awesome. I usually I walk there every morning on my sort of morning exercise and so like it's just I love being right next to it I don't think I actually knew where you were um yeah what's what's your experience in Minneapolis how do you feel about it do you are you from there no I'm from Alabama originally oh, um, okay yeah I moved up to Minneapolis um originally in like 2012 uh because my girlfriend got into grad school up here and nice. she moved up here so I moved up here with her um after she graduated we moved back to Atlanta because that was where she was from uh and we stayed there for like two years and we're like you know we kind of miss Minneapolis so let's just go back to Minneapolis and we moved back here in like 2016 and have been living here since um I I really like Minneapolis I um it is kind of like living in a foreign country to an extent, like culturally very, very different from the South. Um, you know, the Minnesotans are kind of alien in that like, they have a certain way they talk, like a certain way they react to things that feels really foreign. But I, I kind of enjoy that because I like traveling and I am like, it, it's kind of fun. Like I find it kind of charming actually. Um, and there's like a thriving occult scene here too, which is one reason like I haven't done as much occult stuff like online. It's because I met, you know, a group here that does stuff in person. And it's like, I would much rather like do that than talk about the stuff online. You know, like I learned more from having like an actual mentor and like an actual group of people to like bounce ideas off of and stuff. I learned more from from that group in like a year than I learned in a decade and just reading books and talking to people online, you know, because it forced me to like actually do stuff and experiment and work with a group. Um, and, and at least at one point, some of the people have like moved away, but um, people like Rufus Opus were living here. Uh, wow. Joseph Peterson uh, lives here. Um, and like, you know, the, the OTO logic here, you know, OTO itself, uh, I don't have a lot of comment. I, you know, I've got my issues with with OTO, but the logic here I like quite a lot, and um, the people are really cool. And uh, you know, I've had great mentorship from them, and and just like having like a group of people who are like magically operant and like know what the fuck they're doing has been immensely helpful. So I didn't even realize that like the occult scene here was like so big uh, until like a couple of years after moving here. Because um, I was listening to some podcasts with Joseph Peterson um, and he mentioned Leaping Laughter Lodge and he mentioned something uh, like a university that he was getting books at. And I was like, that's a university in Minneapolis. Is he from Minneapolis? Does he live here? And, and found out, oh yeah, he does. Or he like lives in a town nearby or something. He like, lives in the suburbs. Um, and he mentioned Leaping Laughter and I was like, I looked it up and I was like, oh, there's like an OTO lodge here. And uh, I saw that like they had like a ritual workshop night every like Tuesday night. And it took me a while to like work up the courage to go, but I was like really glad I did. Yeah, it's been awesome. I, I like, I like Minnesota more and more the longer I stay here. Like, you know, the winters are rough. Like they're not what I'm used to from like rent and south, but like you adapt to it you just get used to it after a while and um there's that thing i learned the other day that made me really glad 
<laughs> to live here. Even though I'm not a native son of Minnesota, I was like proud to to be a Minnesotan now. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that about the the, the Confederate flag that the the first Minnesota regiment took. Okay, so like during the Civil War, I forget which battle it was, but like so like so the first Minnesota regiment was actually the first regiment of volunteers uh, from the Union after Fort Sumter. So like literally the first guys who were like, yeah, let's fuck the Confederates up were Minnesotans <laughs> and they stole a, like, you know, they, they, in some battle that they won, they stole like a battle flag from Virginia and over like the last, I don't know, like what hundred years, Virginia has been trying to get the flag back. Like they passed, like uh, they actually had Congress like pass a resolution that Minnesota had to give the flag back. Like, the governor has like made all these petitions. They've gotten like the president to make a request, like to, to get the flag back. And every time they're literally like, fuck you, no, it's our flag. <laughs> like we we won the flag fair and square, fucking kiss our ass, kick rocks, fuck off. Um, Jesse Ventura was like, why would we give the flag back? We want it fair and square. It's it's you know, it's our victory, it's our victory spoils. <laughs> But I just, I just love that they're just like, yeah, fuck you. No, we're not giving, ever giving you this flag back. That's amazing. And Jesse Ventura is also amazing. And I kind of uh, like, I wish I'd lived here when he was the governor. Cause like <laughs> that had to have been surreal. That dude's conspiracy show was on point. Yeah, no, he's really fucking cool. I love Jesse Ventura. Like a lot of the shit that he threw out there back then is just like, yep. Check, mm-hmm. check, check. <sighs> yeah. That's really cool that you have. Oh, sorry, Kurt. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. I, I think. Uh, I think the thing about that flag, though, is this: it probably wouldn't be as cool if you didn't have these fucking people pining for it so hard. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Supply and demand, like, you know. Begging for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it like back. it's like as soon as as soon as they stop caring, you're not gonna. That flag is so, suddenly gonna become meaningless. <laughs> it's like yeah. you want them to fucking want it really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Should like have a big barbecue and everyone use it as a napkin. Yeah. <laughs> or you should or you should have it like on a flatbed truck, like displayed and just drive it along the border of Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. You got um like a good community you really like magically though. Like that's that's mm-hmm. oh that's special because Man, like I, I, like I actually think Thelema itself. Like, if I ignore uh, all the boomer Thelemites, I mm-hmm. think Thelema is awesome. Like, <laughs> I think the idea yeah. of like creating a new religion is like, yes, why not? Like, I wanted to do that yeah. ever since I was a kid. And when I found out Crowley did that, I thought that was fucking cool when I was younger. And I, mm-hmm. I really, I always did. Um, yeah, I think yes, it's only like. Like, and I, I make fun of Thuema on Twitter and shit. And I hope that never mm-hmm. bothers you because it's, it's oh, always, no, I, don't a, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> right. Right. That's a, like, like I do it because I, I think of like, like the, the men that use true will as an excuse to be shitty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there are plenty of Thelemites who embarrass themselves on a daily basis. So, right. Yeah. No, um, I, it doesn't bother me at all. Cause it's like, I think if you're going to be a Thelemite, your, your best bet is to take the Jake Stratton Kent, you know, method and just kind of like not involve yourself with any of the uh thelemic community at large and just kind of like do your own thing with it yeah you know? yeah am i yeah am I like wrong? oh 
Honestly, I mean, like I hear people say like the Lamex stuff all the time. They just don't even realize what they're saying. Like, like I mentioned that about Agitator, uh, that one episode I was listening to. And like the shit that David and Kelby were saying was like, this is like thalamic as fuck. You know, these guys aren't thalamides. They don't really know that they're saying stuff that's like thalamic, but it's like some of the most thalamic stuff I've ever heard yeah. come out of people's mouths, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you only hear that stuff from people who don't talk about thalama all the time on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And and that just goes to show that like, like Crowley was definitely tapping into a very real current there. Um, yeah, yeah. it's just like it's just like any fucking religion right mm. <laughs> it's just like any religion people are going to cheapen it and people are going to twist it to their own means and whatnot but yeah but i think I, like I, like like even though i didn't really vibe with uh any of those communities that i like I, I didn't i had like a couple introductions and i didn't really vibe but like yeah it wouldn't have mattered what it was like if if i found a community that i liked it wouldn't have mattered like I like I went to a few years back. I I for a few months I was going to a charismatic Christian church in Kentucky. Mm. Like because they they had this period of their services where they would all we would all sing really terrible Christian song, but they would just repeat the, the same chorus over and over until everyone went into a trance. And then people would start walking over to other people to tell them things they were messages they were hearing for each other. Oh my God, that's incredible. And like, I got um, some of the most amazing and prophetic and accurate divinations of my entire life from anywhere from that. Mm-hmm. And like those kids, like I, I met them all caving. I actually helped lead them on like a, a cave trip. And then I became transfixed because they were all so polite and kind to each other and they didn't have any bullshit among their group. So I was yeah. like, these are like actual Christian kids, like real ones. Yeah yeah real like yeah. right and and they were doing real divination and real like like a uh, willful possession and things like that they just didn't realize how magical it actually is um but like yeah so so it does it wouldn't matter like where that community is right like if you find people that you feel comfortable with and that are doing magic that works and like you're welcome it's like mm. there's that's where you need to be at that time and i think that's yeah, I think that's just something uh, everyone should get over. It's like the like, it doesn't need to match your personality or your fucking brand. It yeah. just needs it just needs to feel like welcoming. And yeah. and if that's the case, then like you're you're if you're a magician, like you need to be capable to walk into some weird ass scenario and learn from it. Um, yeah. And like in your case, it's closer to home. But I'm just saying like. Like it should be completely irrelevant what the group is or what they're affiliated with if you vote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's interesting you bring up like Christianity because like for me, like philosophically, like I see myself as like a Thelemite, right? Like the Thelema is more of like a philosophy to me than it is like any kind of like religion, right? Like I mm. like I go to the Gnostic Mass occasionally, but I don't really think of myself as like a religious Thelemite. Um my like religious leanings are honestly a lot closer to like Christianity. Like, um, especially after like finding out that my, my grandma on my dad's side was like a cunning woman and did like, you know, Christian folk magic and that kind of thing. And it's like, Oh, that's wonderful. I feel like much more at home with that. Like, yeah, I wish the whole like charismatic Christian church, like that sounds like a incredible experience. Like, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it, you mentioned like about how, like worrying about it, like offending me, like making fun of Thalema. That doesn't bother me at all, but I've actually recently like gotten kind of irritated with like all the anti-Christian rhetoric that I see. You know? <laughs> and like, uh, I-, I yeah, that's, that's that's funny because I'm I'm kind of I'm weirdly getting there too, and mm-hmm. um, it's like I I don't know I I think I what, what was it that stood out to me I might have been listening to somebody some stand up and they were doing mm. they were doing like you know the typical like anti Christian jokes and I'm like this this is this material is like way done yeah yeah we're like way past this like yeah. who, no why. I don't I don't get this. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it has the same bite as it used to. Yeah. And uh and in fact I think it's kind of stupid at this point. Yeah. Um and that's that's weird that you say that because I feel very similar. Yeah. I mean I've seen it a lot lately, like people talk, especially like in kind of like neo-pagans and stuff, like talking about mm-hmm. like Christo Christofascists and stuff. They're kind of like lumping Christianity in with this uh like like right-wing conservatism and Mm. that irritates me to no fucking end especially for people who are like not familiar um are you guys familiar with uh with with doc future's work no i don't think so so so. i encourage anyone who uh is upset with um sort of the conservative christian political movements and stuff in this country to really read up on uh michael bennett slash doc futures uh books and like just maybe listen to some podcasts he's done on this stuff because uh, he's one of the only people i know of that really talk about the uh, connections of that movement with like industrialists uh you know in the early 1900s like mm-hmm. railroad barons and all that kind of stuff and how they co-opted uh like the evangelical movement in order to use it as a way to crush things like labor unions and workers rights and stuff like the whole prosperity gospel is like a fucking psyop and he's the Uh, only person i've ever heard really talk about this stuff and like i mean like he's an incredible researcher like he none of this shit is his opinion like he cites everything that he he talks about so so people definitely i always try to like encourage people to read his stuff and um actually like talking to him a lot made me like kind of be more okay with feeling as Christian as I do sometimes Mm. Um, because I was realizing like talking to him like this is a guy who understands that like Christianity is like a religion of like the people and it's a religion of like love and acceptance and of workers and like community and just i don't know seeing all like the snotty remarks and stuff by like neo-pagans kind of has just like kind of irritated me lately because it's like you people don't really understand what christianity is other than it's this like thing that you know your your grandparents you don't like believed in you know and and we probably also have the worst version of it localized right you know it's actually funny that you mentioned these industrial because that I, I were I was mentioning Rockefeller in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. He he believed that he was ordained by God to become the wealthiest man on earth. Exactly. That that's yeah. the kind of stuff that Michael that Mike talks about. Um about how people like him co-opted that that movement and that religion to further their own huh. wealth and power. Um 
and it's like, I'm not like one of these, I don't know. I also think that you can take this in, in a, the opposite direction too hard yeah. too. Like the, the guys yeah. who become like trad cats and yeah. like, <laughs> stuff. It's like, chill out. You don't have to all of a sudden convert to Catholicism. Like, <laughs> And then well, well, the other, the other one is like Greek orthodoxy. That's also, a, for, that's the other one that goes <laughs> yeah. a lot. And, and yeah. both, it's funny because both of them, like we'll eventually just start talking about demons all the fucking time and uh-huh. like, it's <laughs> yeah. like oh no 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 yeah. you went no no like just you don't have to dial it that far come on man yeah yeah it's like i mean like, i do i i do have a deep appreciation for like catholic like iconography and like cathedrals yeah. and stuff like I, you know we have a really amazing like basilica here in in saint paul that i go to get my holy water from um and it's it's gorgeous. I love it, you know. But I'm not going to go to mass. Like I'm I'm not. I've never even been baptized. So it's like, technically, I guess I'm not Christian. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't either. I grew up Christian, but um, the church I was in, they 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 believed in like you know, do it when you're old enough to decide to. Uh, and but yeah. that age, I was like, you all are fucking nuts. that that's awesome though because like when i was a kid i mean i i had these anti-christian sentiments for a long time because when i was a kid i got pushed into a lot of like really uncomfortable like christian uh fundamentalist type things i remember i i got uh convinced to go to like this like christian uh summer camp kind of thing like um very close to like you know that there was that one documentary about like the the christian camps or whatever um for like little kids and i just like there was a night where like everyone was like going down to the river to get baptized and i remember i was like watching this one girl there was like this other little girl and she was like really chubby and she was like in a trance her eyes were rolled up in the back of her head and she was like dancing around in a circle like going down to the river and i remember just like scaring the shit out of me and Mm. like and part of me was like I felt like being baptized was making like a covenant. It was like making a commitment to something that I was like, I'm 11. Like, I, I don't think that I have, uh, I don't want to make like a lifelong commitment to anything, like something that will affect my immortal soul. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and, and I actually like went and hid in some bushes um because it also was like this weird thing where they were kind of like rounding up all the kids to go you know to all go get baptized and I like I didn't want to be forced to do it so I like hid in these bushes until like 3 a.m and then like finally like found my little cabin and like (laughs) man yeah there's something about that scene oh that's that's like heart-wrenching to me because it the only difference between that scene and Mm -hmm. like Jonestown is the sacrament Mm -hmm. yeah and like, like, I know they weren't trying to kill you, but just anytime I feel like people are being rounded up. Yeah. It yeah, just, that's, I just that's feel horrible. so, yeah, I just feel so especially, like, fucking gross inside. Especially kids. Like that's, 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 that's long been the source of horror is like, yeah, you know, yeah. You know it's like, it, I mean, did they chase you with nets? I mean, it almost sounds as crazy. No, as that. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, it wasn't it wasn't that intense. And it also I mean, keep in mind, too, I was also like really little. So maybe it was more intense in my perception yeah. of it than it actually was. But I mean, it, it scared me enough that like I did go hide. <laughs> like I didn't want anybody yeah. to like see me and take me down there um, because it was a decision that I wanted to make when I was like, like ready to do it. 
you know, I didn't feel like uh, being forced into it. Something that crossed my mind is like, I wonder if that bush that you hid in was like a certain type of bush that you now have a relationship with in some other way. <laughs> Maybe. I wish, like, I wish I remember what type of bush it was. The way plant spirits kind of weave mm-hmm. in and out of our lives in weird ways. Yeah. Or you, it's either that or you, you, you didn't realize you turn around and it's, it's the inspector from inspector gadget. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> the horror never ends. <laughs> I really appreciate hearing you um, kind of go to bat for, for Christianity in terms of being like, there are good people who are salt of the earth, Christian religious because mm-hmm. I often go to bat for Christian spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm often like, y'all are assholes for calling this stuff not magic and for blaming angels and Jesus for the things that people that identified with those spirits have done in their name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because like, if you take a little time to get to know those spirits, you realize pretty quickly, they really just want to help. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why... I have encouraged people. I mean, that's one reason I'm really glad I found the group I did up here uh, at the local OTO place, because like my mentor, his focus is on angel magic. And, you know, at the time I was really into like, you know, the idea of like Goetia and working with Catonic spirits. Um, But working with angels, I realized like, God, this is like so much easier. Like, I, I don't have to worry so much about being tricked or i don't have to worry about binding them i don't have to worry about like circles of protection and keeping myself from like getting force choked by a fucking demon you know like these angels like at at best you know feel like an old friend yeah like somebody you've known your entire life at worst they just kind of feel maybe a little alien but i've never like felt scared of an angel you know like they've always there's always this sensation that like they don't care that I've not been baptized. They don't care that I, I'm not really like a devout Christian, you know, that I, yeah. I see myself as a Thelemite philosophically. Like, they're just here to help, man. They're just, they just want to like, they just want to help you. Well, I, I look at like, um, in the spirit logic of it, like, if Jesus Christ is their flagship, mm-hmm. right? Like every, everything in Christianity, like, like weaves around and like rotates around that. I, and I realized like, like there's, <laughs> you can go Judaism with it and things work differently. Right. But, mm-hmm. but if you go Christian with it, things do have this like uh, sort of cycling around uh, Christ. So like there's, I can't explain. It's almost like the, the, the represent, the chosen representative is mm-hmm. like, everything's fine and forgive everyone and whatever. So even if one of the spirits that are associated with that uh, is uncomfortable or misbehaves or does something you don't like, you can kind of refer to like, you are of this, be nice yeah. to me. And it and that actually works really well for even malevolent spirits sometimes. But mm-hmm. there's there's something ingrained in that where like, if they've chosen to be referred to as angels, even if they've mm-hmm. existed since the dawn of time, and we've mm-hmm. only had this reference word for a little while. Um, they're okay with that identifier, so that means yeah. they've chosen. That means they've like chosen to help. Um, 
Yeah. And the fact that they're cool with being identified through Christ, just like the saints, um, in a lot of cases, that means that they're like, they're there to help. And that kind of, yeah. I think that's almost like some kind of coding involved in it. Like how, if you were straight up malicious, you couldn't mm. pretend to be a saint. Um, yeah, yeah. Like even a hot spirit, like St. Expedite, mm. he's there to help. Um, mm. He's there to help you. So, mm. so he, he gets to identify as a saint, even though he's a little bit more, like more volatile than some of the others. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, even in my, um, like, the, the conjuration that I use for the work I do, uh, one of the lines is, like, you know, appear before me in the circle of art so that you may tend to the glory of God and man, right? Like, that's really nice. As an angel, your role in the universe is to, like, lift up people, right? Because we are, like, God's divine creation, and therefore... In some ways, we are like gods ourselves. And I think that, that that's always been my like working theory of why angels are so helpful. Because in a sense, like we seem like they recognize that divine spark in us, right? Mm. And so tending to us is like tending to the glory of God, you know? I like that. I like that a lot. I think my my sort of take on why they've been helpful has always been that they that they must be some kind of structural component to the actual world oh um, yeah yeah not absolutely. not all not all of them obviously because they're mm. like inf infinite angels if you <laughs> want yeah to yeah yeah but mm. the, the big guys right like the ones yeah. that are associated with planets it's almost like the active version of that planetary energy or the um that part that's running around making its own decisions and is conscious and does its own thing. And it's, um, it's agent or something upon the world. And yeah. so, so it's like, if you're doing better then the world's doing better and then they're doing better too. Yeah. No, that makes so, sense. Yeah. So if you're, if you're like aware that we're all one and that's just like always mm -hmm. there for you, then like all truism is innate. Yeah. And like, you know, I've got a pretty basic-ass Neoplatonic view of reality in that you have, you know, sort of the endless divine light of God being filtered down through the spheres, uh, like light, you know, filtering through a prism and being broken into these sort of individual currents that form what we experience as, as physical reality. And that the angels act as like governors of those uh, points through which God's light is reflected uh, on and, and sort of creates our world. So almost like they're like behind a big machine and they're the ones like pulling the levers and saying, send this energy here and send this energy there. Like they're 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 like the maintainers of those like flows of reality. Huh. And and therefore like um if you need something that fits within like that station or archetype of like what you're trying to achieve, like, you know, really basic stuff, like, um, you know, like Jupiter for, for wealth and, and family, right? If you need things that are within that sphere of influence, like by working with the angel that is the governor of that sphere, it's able to direct the energies in such a way um, to fit like whatever you're requesting. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I really love the imagery of them just like pulling levers and shit. <laughs> it's like um, 
fucking have, have you even seen the uh hit it joe video uh, i don't think so <laughs> i don't get any of your references yeah this is <laughs> Apparently. this is actually okay so i know i said nobody should be involved in crypto but Actually, like, crypto, t- crypto Twitter is like really fucking funny because like some of the funnier people in it like have really good in jokes and memes. I'll just like post this in the chat. Uh, this is just kind of how I see. I gotta grab the link to it. There it goes. And then you can put this in the show notes for anybody. Here, I think I could just like share my screen and play it and then oh no you disabled screen sharing. Did I? How does this work? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, still new at this. Episode six, everybody. You gotta summon the angel of Zoom to uh... I cop I uh I copied the link live so that no matter what happens, I can <laughs> it's saved in my phone. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and this this video is basically just my interpretation of like how an angel's day to day life. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> We're all just angel larvae. We're just waiting to to sprout and go full Metatron. <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh, Grant Morrison of you. <laughs> It's funny that the name is like Metatron. Um, I know. It does like, sound like fake. Like it sounds like something that somebody made up. It it sounds like a Japanese cartoon. Yeah, yeah. it's an anime. It's an anime fucking it's name. Fucking yeah. Like they only they only used Ultraman because Metatron was taken. <laughs> it, need, it needs another letter or number or random word behind it though. Metatron seven. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. Um, I think that's that's weird though because if he was a human first, it's almost like if you go so fucking meta, you become an angel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Metatron. He basically just went Super Saiyan three. Became, <laughs> <laughs> became an angel. Oh man, do I have to be blonde? <laughs> I think you have to be rainbow. <laughs> that's the only one. <laughs> you have to be rainbow in New Age. That's that's where Metatron seems to dwell. A lot. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so so either of you guys can explain to me what the fuck angel numbers are? Oh, because like there's like this whole world of quote unquote angel magic that is something that is completely different from what I'm familiar with. <laughs> uh is that the thing where it's like it's a network of of moms who uh who trade numbers that they see on the clock (laughs) yeah i think so that's what i think it is yeah and it's so weird because like my my girlfriend um proofreads books for llewellyn and she's like proofread a couple of those books about like angels or whatever and it's so strange because it's like a whole parallel universe to like what i'm familiar with in my own magical practice it's bizarre yeah, I think they they reference that on uh, on no agenda when people like donate um, certain number certain like amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, an angel number. 
And I'm always <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? And I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's just some like weird new age commitment to never dealing with the difficulty that there is already magic in Christianity that you have to like sit with to, to handle. Huh. Like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, cause mm-hmm. the idea that you have to like draw a circle and conjure something and burn incense and that it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, that's art. Are, so are, I, are, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I just think coming up with erroneous qualifiers of like, this number means angels. So then when I see it, it does. And I'm not even saying that it doesn't. Right. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, oh. cause theoretically if you create a framework and believe in it and then the spirits choose to interact with that like that's that's then your thing and that's how mm. this stuff works so like yeah no that that's that's what i was probably that's what i was gonna say is that like or maybe it's just that they don't maybe they don't know about the other thing and then this has to come out somehow in some way oh that's an interesting idea yeah it's just like an expression of a current that uh, it's like the only way yeah. to express itself yeah yeah, yeah, because there's they don't have the access to like or either they're unwilling or someone's telling them it's all actual demons or whatever. Uh, so so it it emerges in some form and this is the shape that it comes out in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I that's 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 a more positive take on it versus it just being weird chain letter yeah. nonsense. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 like. Um... Reverend Jangleton said, if it works for you and you get results out of it and you feel like it's a genuine interaction, then more power to you. It just, yeah. it feels so straight. It's like one of those things where it's like on the surface to someone from the outside, it would look like I'm talking about the same thing they're talking about, you know, but like, I'm like, no, this is completely different from what I'm familiar with. It's like when I try to talk to people about like out of body experiences and they'll bring up astral projection my my mentor does this where he's like, oh yeah, I can astrally project myself. Like, and what he's talking about is closer to like journeying or like path working, right? Where you've got like a guided meditation, you're sitting there, you're seeing stuff in your mind, right? Like, you know, you're still sitting in a seat somewhere or like sitting on the floor or whatever. Um, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm talking about like I literally come out of my fucking body and like float around like yeah. a ghost. You know, it's it's not like I'm it's in my head, like I'm. I mean, maybe it still is in my head, quote unquote, but like, I'm talking about something completely different here. Um, See, in my and, understanding, yeah. that's, that is the definition of journeying and astral projection is what you were saying. Like to me, to me, that is journeying. And I am incapable mm. of, like, I can't do journeying. Um, what I do is active imagination, which is. Yeah. See, I thought journeying and active imagination were like the same thing. No, like in my understanding, at least, at least like, Going by, uh, I think the way that Gordon White describes it in his course mm-hmm. on journeying is that it's like journeying is actually leaving the body. It's full yeah. on folding yourself up and like dropping out of the body and going in somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> but like active imagination is the sitting, you're still in the chair, you're still sitting yeah. cross-legged or whatever, and your eyes are closed and you can see the thing and, and experience the thing, but yeah. you're not like, you haven't left your body. And that's, I feel like those definitions, those things are like really important to agree on when you're having, at least in any given conversation, it would be yeah. really nice if we all had like a common vernacular for that because it's yeah, like, fuck, it's confusing to not know what someone actually means, especially if it's in an instruction, like yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't help but shit like remote viewing too, where um, 
even the name remote viewing implies that vision is a primary component of the experience when in fact it, it can encompass all senses and it should encompass all your senses um mm. like remote sensing would be a much better phrase but we're stuck with rv as the as the term and it really confuses like i mean and i hear like researchers making that mistake all the time too where they're like conflating uh, out-of-body experiences with remote viewing and like i have to remind these people like these are two very, very, very different experiences. Like our, the experience of doing RV is much closer to like what you refer to as like active imagination, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I would, I would it, say that they're basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah, they are. And and even people who've experienced them both, like uh, like Joe McMonagall is like very, very clear in his own work. And that's one reason I love uh, Joe McMonagall's books is that he's very like frank about the stuff he talks about. He doesn't mystify it at all. And he says, no, like uh, not a body experience is a much different uh, subjective experience than doing remote viewing, you know, remote viewing can give you sensations of being in another place like uh, remote viewers sometimes talk about the sense of like bilocation, you know, like being able to like, like literally your skin, like if you're RV in a place that's like hot, like your skin starts turning red and like gets warm and things like that, like stuff affecting your physical body. But uh yeah, I don't know. It, it, all these things get super conflated. And I, I think I was talking about this on, on Twitter the other day that um, I get sometimes it's like lonely when you're talking about these experiences and other people are like trying to share their experiences. And you're like, yeah, wh what I'm talking about is like nothing like what you're talking about. What you're talking about is cool. And it's like, obviously, I'm not trying to minimize anybody's experience, but it's sort of like it's very rare that I hear another person talk about their experience. And I'm like, yeah, that, that matches. I'm like really lucky that, that my little brother and I both have the same type of experience. Right. Cause anytime we have them, we'll like call each other up and, and share notes and stuff. Um, do yeah. they happen? Do they happen spontaneously or, they, yeah. or is it a controlled thing? For me, it's mostly spontaneous. I've done it controlled like once or twice. Most of the time it's just like, I, you know, either it happens when I'm falling asleep or, like I wake up and it happens. Um, and it's same for him. It's like happened ever since I was a kid. Yeah, I don't think I've, um, in my case, I've only ever done the active imagination stuff. I've never had mm -hmm. an actual out of body experience. Mm -hmm. um, I also think there might've been times where it was about to happen and it freaked me mm -hmm. the fuck out. And so I'm resistant to it. That could also be yeah. a component of it. It's it's super scary, like the exit procedure, right? Like when you're, because you have to have you have to give yourself sleep paralysis basically, um, mm. to get the exit, and sleep paralysis can be really fucking scary for anyone who's ever experienced it. You know, like you sometimes you feel like you can't breathe. You know, it's like yeah. you hear you may hear like crazy, you may have crazy auditory hallucinations. You may literally see like creatures in the room with you and stuff. You know, like some people have these like shadow people encounters and things like that so um it's really hard to make like when all that shit's happening to calm yourself down and be like none of this is real i'm fine i can breathe i'm not gonna die and i'm just going to like exit my body but also do it in such a way that you don't end up accidentally moving your physical body and like breaking the trance state because that's like the other danger right like if you try to move so hard that you physically move well it's all gone it just poof 
I, I think that's what happens is like I I because I've had a lot of um, sleep paralysis moments. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I call it that. It's it's this it'll it'll be this moment where I'm aware that I'm in a dream, and yeah. then I immediately start to try to wake up, and it's like I start thrashing oh. around in the dream, <laughs> and then eventually that like will wake me up. But it's funny. Yeah. I'll I'll just I'll just be going insane like flashing around and like kicking my feet and like like i'm swimming in on the ground or something yeah and then like it'll, it'll just be like my eyes will pop open and i'm like oh i'm awake like it's just yeah the the, the transfer <laughs> is so strange and i'm wondering if that is actually an inflection point that if i treated it differently if that would lead to the, to those experiences honestly um, like my, my hot take about all this is that i don't think there's any tangible reason to think lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences are, are different in any way um other than the fact like there's generally in a lucid dream you know there's a point where you're dreaming and then you become awake in the dream you know like you realize you're dreaming so you don't remember like falling asleep uh the only difference between that and like an out-of-body experience is that there's no like uh there's no break in consciousness right like you're awake you feel the vibrations, you get the sleep paralysis, you exit your body. But pretty much, like, aside from just exploring your local area, like, usually, you know, your house is the same, right? Like, sometimes things look a little surreal. But once you start getting, like, out of your house and, like, getting in the areas around you, a lot of times it's, like, uh, basically like a dream, right? Like, things get surreal, like, pretty quickly <laughs> and get dreamlike and stuff. Um but as you know, like in a lucid dream, you realize that you're, you know, you're like conscious of it and then can control it to some extent. So that's one but thing if, I was wondering, like, sometimes I think you're, I think maybe you're more likely to explore other worlds in lucid dream than in out of body. Like if you exit from yeah. a consciousness position, rather than if you're already dreaming and then you go into it, like, I feel like you're more likely to go from dream world into somewhere weirder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's my goal because like I, I've had so many out of body experiences that like, ex- just, you know, floating around my neighborhood, like, isn't that interesting to me anymore, you know, right, like, right, right. Like it, it's cool being able to walk through walls, like the first couple of times you do it, but then it's like, uh, you know, this is all stuff that I can just like see in real life. I don't, you know, there's no real yeah. reason for me to do this. So a other lot of than, times, yeah. Other than to confirm that it's real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, once yeah. you prove to yourself that it's real, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I definitely, this is real. But like, usually what I'll do is I'll immediately make a beeline for a door or a window. Um, and I like in the experience say, okay, this is going to be a portal to somewhere, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, just go wherever it takes me. Hmm. Hmm. And usually those are places that are like dreamlike or surreal, you know, places that don't exist in in the quote unquote real world. Uh, Do you have any like standout experiences of doing that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just had one the other day. Actually, I I posted about it, but it like, um, I have been having them pretty regularly on the weekends like i don't know for some reason on saturdays i've been like really sleepy and 
I just like laid down on the couch and as I was starting to like kind of drift in and out of consciousness, I felt like the paralysis kick in and, um, you know, I like calmed myself down uh, and started trying to like stand up, like, you know, stand up out of my body. Um, and I couldn't get it to work really well. So I decided instead to like try to roll sideways, like try to imagine what it would feel like if my body was like just spinning in zero gravity, you know, just like rolling over and over. And once I started to like feel that happening, like I could feel myself rolling over and over, I sort of rolled off of the couch and like kind of like floated gently to the floor and like stood up and I always call it like exit drunkenness. Um, <laughs> my little brother has the same experience uh, where like when you first get out, you can't see worth a shit. Like your vision's really blurry and it's like, it, it's almost like you're looking through like squinted eyes or closed eyes or something. And you kind of like move really uncoordinated. And maybe it's just like all of a sudden shifting from having a physical body to having a, a non-physical one is like jarring. Um, but like I, I walked to my bathroom off. That's like off the corner of my kitchen, um, because I'd had the same experience like two weeks ago. I went to go look at myself in the bathroom mirror because I've always heard that would you know be interesting. I wanted to see if I had a reflection, if I could see myself. And uh, two weeks ago, when I did this, when I tried to look at myself in the mirror, like I didn't have a head. Like I was wearing some sort of black robe. Thing, like a big collar and it wasn't like my head was missing but like the area where my head should be in the mirror was like censored from reality or something <laughs> like it was just like <laughs> not there um and that the experience of that like jarred me and I, like, I went back to my body and got up and somebody oh. after that like um reminded me they were like well you used the headless right in your like sort of ritual toolbox right and i'm like yeah i do <laughs> So I guess I was I was a little acephalous there for a second, but um, this time when I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror, I, I was able to see myself in the mirror. Um, I wasn't wearing any clothes, which I was I was like wearing clothes from my physical body. So that was an interesting like counterpoint, right? You know, I could see myself, but I could also see that I was naked apparently. Um, and I went to the back door, like my my all my doors in my house are like glass doors. Um, so like I kind of like pressed on the glass and like popped through it and went into my quote-unquote backyard um and this is where things got like kind of started getting surreal typically I, I find like things get more surreal the further you get away from your physical body hmm. um at least that that's been my experience and like my backyard has like fences on both sides it's a hedge with like vegetable gardens and stuff um in this it was just wide open fields and there was uh, like a little building in the backyard where my garage is in real life, where I have my office and stuff. Um, so I, I go in there, I, I open the door and it, it's like some sort of building that looks maybe like it was lived in, like there was a table, there was a fridge off to the side, uh, like a little kitchen. Um, it was odd that it like one side of it, like the whole left side of this building didn't have a wall. It was just like open air, it was very, odd architecture and like I floated through it um, 
went around to the back and there was like sort of a hayloft thing. Uh, it, like the building was much bigger than my like actual garage. Um, and I, I turned a corner and I was like in some sort of alleyway uh, between like two huge concrete walls. And it felt like almost like I was like a parking deck or something, like just a lot of concrete building. I tried to go back the way I came, but things had shifted, and so I was like kind of in this concrete labyrinth for a minute. Um, I found a side tunnel that I, I knew was like an exit out of here. Uh, so I started flying through this tunnel really fast, like picking up speed. And the tunnel went straight vertical, and like so I, I flew out of this tunnel vertically found myself like in the upper cloud layer of the atmosphere um and it was dark and i could see below me like grids of lights like i was above a city or something but all the lights were kind of like red and orange so they were almost like they were like campfires or something and i started floating back uh, to the surface and when i finally hit the ground i was in some sort of like swamp um like there was like knee-high water everywhere, like cattails, lots of mist, vegetation. And I started exploring this and uh, it was very dark and like out of the, the fog and darkness started coming like a, a series of like different amphibious creatures. Like um, there were different ones, but the one I remember the most was like a giant snail and the giant snail had like two frogs like stacked on its back. Uh, and this was like, you know, like the size of a, a dump truck or something. And at, at this point, I was like, okay, this has gotten completely symbolic and like surreal. Um, like it's time to, it's time to head back. <laughs> like I've gotten all I'm going to get out of this experience. So like I, I consciously like kind of moved myself back into my body and like got up. <laughs> but that's wow. like, I mean, you know what I mean? That it's like. It it's basically no different from a lucid dream after a point. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. It reminds me um, a few things, actually. Like, when I was really little, I used to have these dreams that I would wake up in my room and it, everything would be exactly as it normally was, except mm -hmm. it would be a hallway where there was normally a wall. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and when I'd start walking back, then it would turn like a right angle and then a, another right angle, but the other way, and then maybe some stairs. And every time this dream would happen, I would get a little bit further back. Mm -hmm. And every time I would get further back, it would get weirder and there would get this pressure. And, yeah. and uh, eventually I started getting further and further and there started like these little creatures started appearing that looked like some of them look like crustaceans and some of them look mm -hmm. like little uh, tiny dinosaurs that were covered in spikes. Um, mm -hmm. But none of them had heads or faces or anything. They were just, mm -hmm. but it was like the further I got from my body, even then when I was a child in these weird, mm -hmm. like uh, non-existent dream labyrinth, it was the same concept even then. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's really interesting. And then um, yeah. <laughs> talking about headless right showing up in places and like yeah so when i when we were living in germany and i was waiting on my um recently and i was waiting on my uh, residency to come through here in denmark um 
there's Germany is like an ocean of ghosts and mm-hmm. uh I have it was a, it was like a daily battle to just keep up the 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 borders of our apartment and keep the the ghosts out basically yeah yeah um but I was having like a really hard time with just keeping my sanity in my my head and like um dreaming well um if I don't mm-hmm. dream well I feel fucking crazy and um mm-hmm. there's something about like dipping deep enough into dream to replenish the spirit to come back and, and live a life and yeah and if i don't get that right it's yeah. so i was like asking for like what do i need to do and then um my wife and i went for a walk and i found we actually went for a walk to and to a thing to deal with immigration and on the ground i found a playing card upside down and turned it over and it was the nine of clubs which in my own personal system is either sacrifice or magic huh um and then we went in the office and on the way back i'm wondering like what the card means and we find a a bird on the ground that's dead and it has its head completely clean cut off (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, went home, did a headless right, and felt better for about a week. Yeah. It's nice when yeah. it's explicit like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just think, think it's really crazy when, like, <laughs> like you find yourself headless in the dream, and it's like, do you do that in your ritual? And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, so this is the mythic version of the effect that has on me, which, mm-hmm. which is essentially, in my experience, the effect of, like, being able to kind of drop out of logic thoughts when necessary yeah yeah it was also the same day uh that rosie released that really beautiful folk uh like it was like the headless right as a folk song did you guys listen to that what no No. oh yeah i gotta send you that uh it's it's really incredible and it, it it made a big impression on me it's uh like she basically I think she originally did it just to be kind of tongue in cheek, you know, like, oh, it's like, you know, what if the PGM was like a folk, like a indie folk song or something, but it's actually really fucking good. Um, And hearing the barbarous words like sung made them make so much more sense to me than they ever have before, because I was like, these were probably, yeah, I was like, this makes sense. These were probably originally sung rather than recited you know like uh, i was like this is this is like incredible like yeah. the orphic hymns are supposed to be sung yeah 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 that's amazing i yeah okay so this is cool this is the first episode where we're actually gonna have to do uh there will be show notes people <laughs> all 17 of you have something to look forward to actually i'm also curious um and it's interesting that you you ended with this. You, you actually encountered other things. In the, have you ever encountered another person while in an out-of-body experience? Like, have you actually, like, for instance, have you tried to meet up with your brother before or anything like that? Um, I have tried to meet up with him, but I think the encounters that I've had with him were not actually him. Um mm-hmm. Like one in particular, I, I went to my dad's house because uh, at the time he was living with my my dad in our childhood home. And he was in his room. 
but like when I tried to talk to him he like <laughs> attacked me and like was like trying to bite me and stuff and like uh I don't know like I I don't think it was really him um mm-hmm. oh, there's only one of these experiences that I've had where I encountered what I think might have been another human being I've encountered like plenty of uh entities that like I knew were spirits or that were like I, I think I met like a a Buddha figure one time that was that did like a little uh teaching experience for me um but one time I, w- I had not a body experience and I was floating through a park at night um just kind of like gliding along a path and I saw somebody sitting on a bench and I was like I'm gonna see if this person can see me and I like called out to them and they like looked at me and they got this like terror stricken, like uh, look on their face. Like I was like, whatever I looked like to them, it wasn't good. And uh, they took off, but instead of running, they literally like took off. Like they started flying away. And I was (laughs) like, Oh, this person's also having, or maybe they're just dreaming or something. I don't know, but this is like person having the same experience I have. And I was like, wait, wait, I was like chasing them. And I was like, (laughs) and I mean they outran me like I chased them as far as I could like I tried to like grab their leg and stuff which probably only served to like scare the shit out of them even more um (laughs) but I mean I'll never know like they they got away so I'll I'll never be able to ask them (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's so crazy to think about like these endless possible variations like what level of consciousness someone is in when you interact with them in that state and like like are they fully awake or are they half asleep or are they fully asleep or is it even a human or is it yeah like my own projection or yeah there's there's so many possibilities i mean you get the hang of certain things like i think i think knowing whether or not it's your own projection is one of the first things you learn as a magician yeah it's like this this distinction of okay i know how to drop out through the experience of meditation and prayer like these you you gain that that uh, discernment of like i'm not doing a thing right now i'm casting no stone and yet this thing persists to exist but beyond that it just gets really blurry really fast yeah for sure um I did have one experience one time that I've always been curious if it were if it was quote unquote real people that ex- that experienced it. But I I had an out of body experience. I you know went through the first available door. Um, I ended up in some kind of alley. I kept thinking I was like in the American Southwest. Uh, I don't know why it just reminded me like the architecture, uh, the temperature outside, the sky. I don't know. I just felt like I was in like Taos, New Mexico, or something. And I went, like, came out of an alleyway, and I was on, like, a street corner. Like, there was, like, sidewalk, uh, you know, like, people kind of, like, milling about, like, you know, walking on the sidewalk and stuff. And I just wanted to see if they could see me, like, if they would react to me. So I started, like, levitating and, like, you know, like, levitated above them. And a bunch of the people, like, turned and looked at me and, like, started screaming. And like the shock of that, like sent me back to my body. 
<laughs> and it, it does make me wonder if like there's some Fortiana type account out there still about a bunch of people seeing a guy like levitate <laughs> and disappear. Because um, I, I genuinely think that sometimes when you have these experiences, like you're you're manifesting in like a parallel universe or like a different reality. Um, or even I've just had, in the past. Yeah, or in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think that things like time travel are probably possible using it. And God, <laughs> you I, might you might actually be in a fourteen account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like there's um, what was the one guy? Have you heard the story about the guy? Uh, who, I think it was in a Japanese airport. He like showed up and he had a passport to a country that didn't exist, and they like held him. Oh, you know, at yeah, the airport. kind of. Yeah, I kind of remember this. Yeah, yeah, and they, they like held him, and he kept saying, you know, no, I'm really from this country. Like the, the country that he had a passport for wasn't a real country. Uh, they put him in a hotel room for the evening, you know, like at the airport, so they can like figure out what to do. And they go there the next day, and he's just like gone. He's just vanished. And it makes me wonder if that was a similar thing. Did was yeah. he dreaming and he just woke up? You know, <laughs> that's like when was... you dream, are you actually going to parallel universes? Are you actually physically manifesting in these places? And like, it's kind of yeah. like that that um that text that is like a um a naturalist book of plants, but none of them are from Earth. That was, it's like an old manuscript. I forget what it's called though. The Voynich manuscript? Or... I think that is it. Yeah. That's <laughs> the one I think is actually even written in a, in a like they, they're not sure if it's a code or what. Like, I think that's the Voynich one where it's like, it's not written in English either. It's, it's yeah, some... yeah. The Voynich manuscript, I think, is still un untranslated or un yeah. unenciphered. It's like still nobody really knows. What, how to un unencipher it so there could be or another take like uh your experience of like their reaction snapping you out of it mm -hmm. what if that's just your spirit team giving you the opportunity to learn how to not snap out of it when that happens <laughs> and like it's, that's also possible yeah <laughs> right because because i i will be the first one to be a like to vouch for the fact that like my spirit team trains me in dreams um oh, yeah mm -hmm. like not lately i've had some some serious weird block shit that i'm trying to get rid of for my dreams like I, my dreaming life has been terrible for a long time now and weirdly i just figured out i was telling kurt I feel so dumb because for, for like eight months, it's been not right um, for that long. And I just realized like my wife has two giant candle holders that just in my mind exist as candle holders, but they're made of fucking selenite. And when I walk around in, whenever, anytime I get selenite near me, it puts all my energy in my head. Yeah. And I've been sleeping under them for months and months. Oh, you got to move those. And I did and like had dreams again, but it's still not quite right. I don't know if I'm just yeah. adjusting or whatnot, but, um, but yeah, I've, I've had like uh, incredible experiences with that. Like as far as um, healing from addiction goes where I was having drug dreams for a long time and then they kind of like stopped and that was like a normal thing from the addiction. But after a while they would come back and it would be like, I would have dreams about things I actually really wanted and then drugs would come up in the middle of it. And I would, I would usually cave. And then after a while I stopped caving and it kind of let me know 
where I was at internally. Like on the surface, yeah. you can resist your desires, but mm -hmm. changing the desires themselves is the actual goal and the actual medicine that you want. And yeah. so they kept putting me in these scenarios where it was like, you know, I, I had to face the fact that like, okay, I, I still have the desire, but I'm resisting. And then eventually that changed too, to like drugs would come up in dreams and I would just like be like, oh, that's cool. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my main spirit, dude, I would say HGA, but that's kind of cringe. Um, although his name does actually show up in an old grimoire um, when I confirmed after the fact. So nice. uh, he has appeared in some dreams I've had to like show me. Like I remember one time I had a dream where I was like in a bookstore. It's like a bar Barnes and Noble looking at bookstore. And like I was looking at all these books in the magic section and he was standing next to me and he's like, hey, check this book out. And I was like looking at it. I was like, oh, holy shit. I've never seen this grimoire before. This is amazing. I've never like none of these spirits. I don't know any of these names or these seals. This is incredible. I should I should buy this. This is amazing. And. But the, the problem was that I, like, I didn't realize it was a dream. It wasn't lucid mm -hmm. at all. So like mm -hmm. I woke up and didn't remember shit. So sorry about that dude i <laughs> i promise i'll be more astute next time if you want to show me some more i won't just fucking forget all of it when i wake up <laughs> i mean i had like um the the buddha experience i mentioned before was like a like a monkey king in the buddha type journey to the west type deal where for a long time all of my out-of-body experiences were very uh they always had this undercurrent of violence right uh, at the time i was going to therapy and kind of dealing with like childhood abuse stuff and so I was like having a lot of like anger coming up and mm. bubbling itself up to the surface and that was I think getting reflected in my out-of-body experiences where I was constantly like getting into fights with entities you know like wrestling with them like uh, getting into these like really violent brawls um it just felt like I was like everything out there was like constantly trying to pick fights with me um but what I think was maybe going on was that like I was maybe picking fights with everything out there um because mm -hmm. I finally ended up having this one experience where I was in this little tiny house and there was like this this like lady in the house and I for some reason like I, I tried to go down the hallway that was next to her and as I was like trying to go through the hallway it, it would get smaller and smaller and like trap me in the hallway and I got super angry and was like screaming at her like if you don't let me out I'm going to devour you I'll like destroy you <laughs> um, and she was just like totally serene like it didn't phase her at all and the more I struggled and like the more I got angry like the tighter like this building was like constricting me and like preventing me from like moving and it wasn't until like I completely calmed down and like let it go and like gave her a kiss <laughs> that I was able to like leave and <laughs> later I was like okay I was like that was very obviously like a teaching moment like hey Rin you don't have to fucking fight everything out here not everything out here is like trying to get you you know maybe chill out a little when you're having these experiences that's amazing though wow <laughs> that's yeah that's so beautiful what a great teaching experience <laughs> yeah I, I definitely appreciated it I mean and it did change the flavor of my experiences I, I've had much less like a, a fewer of those like sort of violent out-of-body experiences where I'm, I'm getting into fights and stuff um well, man I just I just feel like 
I, I had issues with that too in a different kind of way where it was like, I, I think, uh, yeah, I had a lot of like physical um, violence experiences that kind of shaped things for a while, but but also there's just the, the, the everyone tells you that spirits were gonna, are going to be dishonest and spirits yeah. are untrustworthy and all that stuff. And a lot of the time they're like specifically talking about certain kinds of spirits, but they don't differentiate. Yeah. Um, But that kind of, that kind of stuff sticks in your head. And I think, I think it gets lost. uh, It got lost on me at least that, um, that being constantly defensive means Mm -hmm. that only, only attacks can reach you. Yeah, yeah, it limits your ability to experience things because you're right. you're seeing everything through the same lens, and and it almost limits your communication to battle. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like if you can only hear that, so something has to come in and like fuck you up to set you straight to show you, um, it's not always a fight, but it has yeah. to like meet meet you there to even like get you to hear it. Then, mm-hmm. yeah. But like the trick is vigilance. The trick is being like as empty as possible emotionally and just watching keenly and being mm-hmm. willing to make a judgment call uh, in the moment based on the context. Like that, that's the key. That's I think what, what we're always trying to train towards is that freedom yeah. to, to just do that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I will say too, um, I don't want to put forth the impression to people who may be having these experiences themselves that everything out there is friendly um, because there are definitely things out there that I've run into that, that weren't learning experiences. They were things that were legitimately not good. Hmm. And it's really funny when you read that like CIA document that's talking about like their experiences at the Monroe Institute, there's this like line where it says like the operator must be mentally prepared to encounter hostile non-human intelligences Hmm. during these experiences. And like, that is true too. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, not everything out there is trying to fight you, but also like, don't take any shit from anything when you're out there either. Like, because when you're out there, uh, you know, in, in the deep, um, everything is based on imagination and willpower. Right. And if you, any type of contest like that, that you may find yourself in is purely a contest of like, who's got the stronger will, who's got the greater imagination. So like, be sure of yourself, like, don't, don't take any shit, but also like, yeah, not everything's trying to get you. (laughs) I think it's really funny that the conversation has, has gone to come to this where it's about leaving your body and we're reviewing an animated series where literally a robot pops out of his head and floats around (laughs) yep (laughs) comes out of his like third eye too yeah out of his forehead i mean the pineal gland is kind of the the in between of the two hemispheres uh, so that Mm -hmm. like is the portal yeah yeah I mean, I do think the idea in fully coolly of of like the NO and like the the pulling things out of your that it is about like imagination and willpower, yeah. right? Like like yeah, I think the, sure. you mentioned about the guitar coming out being like representation of willpower. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's like a an explicit representation that like uh, your imagination can, you know, 
in a real magical sense, like create re- reality around you. Well, like, yeah, that's what the guitar does, right? It creates mm-hmm. gods out of those who imagine. Mm-hmm. It's like celebrating that. It's you. You can be a scrawny heroin addict and be a god if you <laughs> have a guitar and can imagine. <laughs> you know that that's the one thing. You know, back to the the Thelema thing. That's one thing I really like about the Gnostic Mass is after you take the sacrament, you know, you turn to the rest of the congregation and you say. There is no part of me that is not of the gods. And I've always enjoyed that that statement as like an affirmation of like the divinity of people and in mankind. That's like a a, a good version of we're all made of star stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Crowley gets a lot of shit for do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law, being intentionally maybe a little vague and a little too open to interpretation. But I still think that like um you know every man and every woman as a star is is perfectly like simple as it is you know i I love that 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 statement as it is i i feel like there's something um inherently true about about that like i i kind of think of the world as that we live in as being like um some weird mama fish with a bunch of eggs in her mouth Mm -hmm. and like we're all supposed to graduate from this and become like self-sufficient, self-sustaining, self-propelled entities that don't rely on mother earth anymore. Like I really Mm -hmm. do believe that there is some kind of like, we're in a gestation world where we're, we're always, we're always forming, but at some point that that's, there's something after that. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you read any of Robert Monroe's books? No. Yeah. You should definitely read his, uh, at least read like journeys out of the body but like i mean all there's just the three books like journeys out of the body far journeys and ultimate journey and his main thesis is that like yeah like it's not even that you're like just studying but that like you're you're like literally like an alien soul that has come to earth to experience like physical incarnation and has forgotten why they came here and through the process of like death and rebirth and reincarnation you slowly start to realize like who you really are and where you're really from and at that point you go home you know like once yeah, you had yeah. the, the experience i like that take and it and it adds up to me why there is a lot of people there are some people that say like it's a prison world because yeah if you for, if you forgot and you still have this like feeling inside like you need to get back yeah. somewhere which i think we all do and mm-hmm. And like in some some cases, people say that's like just trying to return to the one, but I, I don't think that's it at all. I, I think yeah. the reason that the hero's journey is such a big deal is because individuation is kind of part of the point of being here. Yeah, yeah. And and the prison the prison world thing I think does ring true because I mean the whole idea of like Louche comes from Monroe. Uh, his because when he's out of body and he's like with his spirit helpers they kind of show him that like all of this life and then physical incarnation and death and rebirth on earth does create a kind of energy that is harvested and like beamed off world you know maybe off dimension who knows Um, but I think the danger there is is seeing that through um, like anthropomorphizing that you know, like seeing it through through a human context, when in reality, this is like a thing that is like completely alien. 
right? Like we don't know what they're using the energy for. We may see this as like a malicious thing, like we're being preyed upon, but maybe that's not really like a, exactly what's going on. That's because we're know? from like American capitalist society where anytime, yeah, someone, yeah. anytime yeah, anyone's yeah, using yeah. anything, it means that someone else has been fucked over to get it. Yeah, yeah it, we, we it, see it as explo- exploitation, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and, that's, yeah, it's like is a is the uh, is the is the is a seed exploiting the soil soil that it's sprouting <laughs> out of to yeah no that that's a great analogy yeah because like this is a thing that shows up in James Merrill's work in like the Changing Light at Sandover um, he you know he's talking to these spirits on Ouija boards and one of them basically gives him a similar spiel where he says that like Earth is a greenhouse it was made so that things could grow and you know, these things are harvested, but it's not like a malicious thing. They're, they're not being preyed upon. It's it's sort of like, uh, you know, it's a garden, basically. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Monroe's whole thing is that that idea, too, that like. It's also like educational, you know, that like, oh, yeah, that was the point I wanted to make. The thing about spirit allies, one of the the things that Monroe brings up, and and sorry if this is a mild spoiler for these books that I'm telling you that you should read, but one thing he kind of discovers in like the third book was that like his spirit helpers that had been sort of guiding him through these different experiences that he's had over the years with the out-of-body experiences um, were literally just him, like in the future. (laughs) or in the past, it was like previous incarnations of himself, because at one point, he ends up going back to the time where he had his first out-of-body experience, and like this helper entity, like helped him out of his body, and like, you know, like grounded him and and helped him transition, and he actually has the experience of like going and doing that to himself in the past, like he was the spirit the entire time and so in some way i, I just love that idea that like you, you know your your hgas and your spirit team or whatever they might just all be you just different versions of you you know <laughs> like I, sometimes i balk at the whole idea of you know oh your hga is just your higher self maybe it's not your higher self maybe it's just like one of your other lives you know maybe it's like a you know one of the lives you lived a long time ago or a life that you're going to live you know a thousand years from now See, other lives I think is cool, but I yeah. have to say, if I found out my whole spirit team were just different versions of me, I would be cripplingly like, <laughs> disappointed. Yeah, like, it would just be like, yeah. like one of those, like if it were the ending to a movie, I would write a terrible yeah. review. Yeah, on some level, I do agree that like it would be kind of disappointing. They were all that. you all along. Fuck yeah. you, M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> um. Turns out God is M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Turns out you are M. Night Shyamalan. Everyone is M. Night Shyamalan. Fuck, I was God too. Damn it. There's no one to blame. Um, <laughs> God, that's... Uh, uh, I like... Okay, so that, that reminded me like of earlier saying the basic... Your, your like so-called basic platonic model I I like the platonic model, but not top bottom, but like left right. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you apply emanatory model from beginning to end of time, mm-hmm. I like that better because I, I I'm all about the embodied like like physical manifest matter is holy and is spirit. It's just like 
this manifest form of it um mm -hmm. but i like the idea of like the pure light being um like no big bang but some idea of like there being this spark that kind of has to play out and like almost like a song and then there's dissonance mm -hmm. and resonance and in the end it all closes and you feel really good and complete or whatever but yeah i don't know i don't know what, i was just like the idea of like a a platonic eminatory model but if you just turn it sideways yeah i like that too that's cool you know, like a time-based model of of manifestation mm -hmm. that's actually something um i heard a, a there was a guy uh he's a pair of german guys that did a show with uh soraya on where did the road go uh years ago i forget their names reinhardt and something but um one of the guys mentioned uh doing a ritual in like a hotel room or something that when, when he was on vacation and he felt like at this moment that every other person who had also done that ritual, like they were all doing it with him at the same time. Mm. And I remember that like really changing the way I thought about like planetary hours and like why planetary hours work mm -hmm. so well um, for magic. In that, in a sense, if you're doing a ritual at the same time that, you know, maybe hundreds or even thousands of other magicians have done that ritual, and if you think of time as being experienced linearly, you know, linearly, but not actually being linear in, in nature, then in a in a real sense, you're all doing that ritual at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, th throughout past and future, you know, and I like there's so much power in that, and th that really changed like the way I thought about like time and 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 magic. That's really well, I mean cool. that that also speaks to like some very common potent prayers like say the rosary mm -hmm. like that has been said by so many people for so long over such a vast distance of time yeah that there that there is there's juice there you know mm -hmm. it's like been built up yeah mm -hmm. yeah and I've, I've had that experience with the with the rosary where like dependent upon the reason for which i'm saying it at the time um determines what kind of like crowd i feel sort of in the room saying it with me mm. if i'm saying yeah. it for mm -hmm. for someone's health i feel like concerned mothers and things um and yeah. if i if i'm saying it to just like feed a spirit then i feel devotees energy um there's it's really interesting how it's like people have used it for all kinds of different reasons and it's almost like you can almost tap into the specific reason rather than just the juice itself it's really weird yeah that's why sometimes i worry about like the the real basic ass ideas uh around chaos magic of you know kind of like just doing your own thing or making up your own prayers or own entities or, or rituals or whatever and like yeah in some cases that might be useful but also there's a lot of power in just doing the same thing that other people have done without you know maybe hundreds of thousands of times you know there's like a real power to that that you can't discount it's, it's and i think that's context-based too because i think there's also on the other end really mm -hmm. a lot of power in say a spirit that doesn't have um 
recorded practices that you feel an affinity for and Mm -hmm. reviving something or creating something new there's like like doing the tried and true has built-in power but then Mm -hmm. like forging new ground with the blessing of a spirit who like is is like reaching out and by reaching Mm -hmm. out i just mean like you're obsessed with them that is them reaching out right like if you if you end up crafting something around that that has a different kind of juice but it's also like i feel like they're they're opposite ends of the seesaw and yeah yeah i guess like either end is amazing (laughs) and if maybe maybe you could even combine the two right like working those two together um i kind of feel like fuck i'd really like to have yuri on the show but like uh the empress of hell like our lady empress of hell book by Mm -hmm. yuri mcginchy um that's like this medieval title of mary that's empress of hell and it's it's really odd right but it Mm -hmm. it's got this really impressive potency to it i think um because it it's approaching mary in in a different kind of way but it also employs prayers that are that are standard and classic so it it does kind of do that thing where it ties both ends both ends of the spectrum together i'd like to see more of that (laughs) yeah and i mean like in a in a goetic contest context i've seen um like you know who knows how much stock you put into john king's imperial arts and whether or not the things that he's uh, the experiences that he's detailing in imperial arts are let's say accurate so what was actually experienced when he did these rituals but one interesting thing i i found in his accounts of these experiences is that sometimes the spirits were like damn nobody has called me in like fucking 400 years <laughs> you know like yeah. i've been so fucking bored like no <laughs> i have had nobody to talk to like nobody and then, like the spirits are so eager and willing to help because it's just like damn like no you know i, I thought i'd been forgotten you know like seriously like uh, there's like one spirit i think like he calls like haginti and like one of haginti's like things is that they can turn water into wine and he's like okay well i've got a pitcher of water here can you please turn into wine and haginti's like well you know they said i could do that in the book but i I can't really do that that's not something (laughs) i can actually do and he's like and he seems genuinely like sorry that he can't like do this thing that's in the book and he's like, okay, well, it says that you can turn base metals into gold. Can you, you know, can you teach me how to do that? And again, he's like, oh yeah, no, I can totally do that. And he like goes on to describe how to like do like uh, electroplating, huh. um, which I mean, technically, yeah, it sort of is like you're turning metal into gold, but he's like, yeah, I already know how to do that. Like we discovered how to, you know, like <laughs> we've known how to do that for hundreds <laughs> of years. It's like, well, um, you haven't called me in a while. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. So like, well, I, I didn't know that, you know, <laughs> you know, 500 years ago, this is like breaking ass, you know, technology, cutting edge. Um, but yeah, Haginti just seems like genuinely disappointed that he has like, uh, you know, he, he got called up after all these years and doesn't really have anything that he can, he can show John King. <laughs> so they're like vintage spirits that are just like collectibles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it doesn't really do anything that we need anymore, but uh, yeah, he's cool. I, I, mean, I, I do think that's probably true. And that that's an interesting, I think, approach to the spirit conjuration, maybe in the modern age, is trying to find new spirits that fit more within our current world and our Ooh. current technology and the things that we can we can uh, 
you know, where are the spirits that have offices that relate to, to life as we experience it today? And we're back to complaining about Neil Gaiman for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> American Gods illustrated this point, but fell short of really going there. Uh, and yeah, yeah. and he, he kind of has this attitude of like, yeah, I just made it up. And it's like, bro, you get the wrong idea about how ideas exist. Uh, and and this idea of like new gods or um, more relevant ones is a really cool thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's a, the really interesting thought. And like, and how to think with that, how to think of like, uh, what are you looking for that you haven't thought of yet? How do you think mm -hmm. of what you don't know you need yet or what you don't know the world needs yet? And how do you mm -hmm. seek it out if you don't know what it is? Yeah. Mm. yeah it, makes, it actually makes me wonder if, if there is like, you know, Ginty is is got this thing waiting in the wings. You just got to ask him the right fucking question, and it's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, you can turn a rock into a star. Yeah, it's really <laughs> yeah, that's entirely possible too. That we're just not asking the right questions because, I mean, at least in the sort of you know base confrontational nature of Goisha, right? You're the spirit doesn't necessarily want to be called up and they're not going to like suggest anything that they have to put effort and like work into right like they're they're sort of depicted as being maybe lazy is, is too harsh of a word but like they're not gonna just like offer to do things if you're not if you don't know what to ask for you know and and maybe even offer things you don't want or don't ask for to distract yeah. you mm-hmm I've never, I've never proper done any Goetia, so it's just all a bunch of speculation and reading. But for me, I did the. Did you do the the Rune Soup Astra thing? Well, okay, so I have some plans, but I also mm -hmm. have. Um, I'm kind of see like you. You started. It sounds like you found angels after Goetia, and I'm the other yeah. way around. Like I went hard with angels and. Mm -hmm now like well today was wednesday while the moon is waxing so i consecrated some things um mm. so i'm doing some preparations and whatnot but but i'm gonna yeah. do something a little off book and hope to um with a spirit that i already have a connection with and mm -hmm. hope to get sort of my own system that's that's cool. that's, yeah. that's the goal um by using a system that they are more prominent in already like yeah i work with the asherah and i'm hoping to use the empress of hell angle to kind of because yeah. i feel like that's just like an aspect of her to be honest um, yeah yeah and it that's one of the, the that few yeah that's one of the few like i guess straightforward goetic operations i've done and one of the reasons i like try to dissuade people from doing goisha it, it, it's not because you know, all of the things I asked for were, were delivered uh, quickly and, and to an extent that that um, I still can't believe to this day. Um, <laughs> so like, you know, all the things came through for me, um, but there's like physical dangers involved that I, I don't think people know about or believe. Like, mm. you know, the, the lesser key is pretty explicit in saying that there's like an element of uh like venomous breath involved with that spirit and that you should wear like a silver ring um and i didn't wear a silver ring 
And the next day I woke up and felt like my lungs were on fire mm. and was like laid up in bed for like days, like feeling like I couldn't breathe. I almost had to go to the hospital. I was like so concerned about it. Um, Damn. And, you know, I don't think it was like malicious or intentional. I think it's just like a side effect of their presence, you know, like they can't help it, you know, like it's <laughs> right because there was no, you know, malice or anything in, in the actual experience. It was great. It was, you know, it was wonderful, but that was like a side effect of it that I didn't prepare for. And I mean, I don't know if anybody else had that experience who participated in it. You know, if they did feel free to reach out and let me know if this is just me <laughs> that had this problem. And maybe it was just me. Maybe I psychosomatically did it to myself because in, in some level in the back of my head, I knew it said that in lesser key. So, mm. so who knows? But um, I, I do think there's a real physical element of danger to Goetia that uh, uh, a lot of like new practitioners don't understand or maybe won't really believe in until it's too late or something's happened. Yeah, um, like, like even if you can't conjure them to full conjure eight, to full appearance or full physical yeah. form, uh, that doesn't mean the dangers will manifest physically. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's why I encourage um, most of the newer practitioners that come to me asking me about stuff to like, like just just like stick with angel magic. You, you don't have to worry about this shit <laughs> with angels. Like it's, you know, you can do it with so much uh, less equipment and the experiences are just generally more constructive and, and, and less scary. Um, yeah. yeah I, I never even really conjure angels much. I just say a lot of angel prayers when I'm going hard with them. And then mm -hmm. it affects my consciousness on a very general level. And I can remember dreams mm -hmm. and I have much more intricate and, and like enriching dreams mm -hmm. and, and just have like a general more solid stable state of mind where yeah then if i need to reach out and be like hey specific angel i need this thing it's like those daily prayers are already in place and it's really easy to do um oh yeah yeah like I so th that that angle for me has always been great and and like you can only do that with goetia right if you've if you've bound it successfully and have like a, a connection there that that yeah. vibes and um yeah yeah, like I do use an explicit conjuration in my own system, um, but I don't even think it's probably necessary. You know, it, it just fits into the framework that I use. Like I have a certain ritual script that I like that I like to run through and it, it includes like a, an actual conjuration. Like yeah. I'm, I'm like still always going to be a nerd for like the drawing spirits into crystals kind of <laughs> way of doing things. I just I like it. You know, I spend all that time building the, the you know by the book looking ass trithemian set of uh, material so you know i i'm in for a penny and for a pound on that one yeah yeah i like doing the um the angelic conjurations for the day from um heptameron but i i in the way that i do them it's basically like a morning invocation it's it's oh, less yeah. of a it's not really a conjuration it's it's like it's it says it's conjuring but it's like mm -hmm. it's really just calling into relation yeah so that yeah. so that it's like you're you're familiar and if you need to reach out later they're there yeah those are cool prayers i should try those sometime i haven't done those like daily i should start doing that the um 
man, God, I can't say enough things. Like I could do a whole show. We could do a whole show on Yuri's book because um, the way that he put it together is brilliant. Like you start off addressing Mary as Empress mm-hmm. of Hell and Lady of the World. And for me, that that just our Queen of Heaven and Earth, Lady of the World, Empress of Hell, like that vibes with Asherah in all the ways mm-hmm. for me. Cause she mostly mm-hmm. shows up as a tree for me. Um, mm-hmm. Where like the roots are more Astaroth, like chthonic stuff, and the top is more Queen of Heaven, um, starry stuff. Um, but like, there's, it goes from that into addressing all of the angels and then saying, like, it is through the Hail Mary, the angels know that through the Hail Mary, reparations were made for the fallen angels of sin and then you say the hail mary with the angels so you get all of the angels to say the hail mary with you for the fallen oh that's cool in the presence of mary empress of hell and then you do the daily conjuration of the angel and then you say a prayer for the angel and give the angel a blessing so there's this, these exchanges that are going on that are like highly complex mm-hmm. and you, you are like, you are blessing the fallen angels and you are blessing the angel of the day um, while you're calling them to service. And like, it's, it's so much better. Like to me that it is more complex and more beneficial and more relationally like just cool <laughs> yeah, <laughs> than, yeah, than awesome. basically anything else. Like I really want to do a whole show on it and have Yuri on to talk about it, but um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a fine piece of work. I gotta, I gotta check that book out. That sounds awesome. It's, it's funny you bring up the Asherah as tree thing. Have you ever seen a picture of my Asherah altar? I didn't even know you had an Asherah altar. Yeah. Um, Stop. We're going to exchange photos after we get off the phone. <laughs> all right. It was, it's made um, out of reclaimed driftwood from the Mississippi River um, oh. that I would like go down to the river and just like get driftwood. And I, I made this whole like driftwood thing. And it, it looks like a, like roots from a, like a tree that like built up. Um, oh. I'm actually still working on it. I've got to do a couple things to like finish it, but I've been working on it for like a year or two now. I've got um, goosebumps right now. And the thing is, I didn't, it was all, uh, you know, UPG or whatever. Like it was basically, I, I think in my head at the time, I was like, I know I should do this. This is how it should be made. I, I, I didn't read it in any book or, you know, it, it's not like something whispered in my ear and told me this, but it, it was more like, I just kind of knew that I needed to go out into the woods and get wood um, I, I think in my head at the time, I was thinking of Gilgamesh, like, you know, yeah. going out outside of the city and like cutting down the, the cedar and like bringing it back to the city. And that was like the jumping off point. But yeah, it's just I, I had no idea that that like she had this connection with wood in, in your <laughs> like imagination as well. And it's like, yeah, in mine, it was just like it just manifested like that. Wow, that's Okay. Shit, man. <laughs> like, so, okay. I, I did, I recently did um, with uh, UK Steve, uh, Wildwood Steve. I did a, um, he's doing the Daniel Four um, stuff. Mm-hmm. And so for his like practice, I did uh, a session with him. And on my dad's side, 
they're Amish woodworkers. And my like very back ancestor, the furthest one back was a golden glowing tree. Oh, but, wow. But this is after like two years of me being obsessed with Asherah and <laughs> um, me equating her to being like the West's version of both the world tree um, mm -hmm. and also and and also like Astaroth being essentially the demonized version of Shakti because we don't accept the feminine in the West, like yeah, the dark yeah. feminine. Mm -hmm. um, so she, so this this all-encompassing mother goddess got forced into separate forms and showed up in grimoires. Um, <laughs> Man, you must have really liked all the iconography in Elden Ring then, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, I, I haven't even finished it. I haven't played it in a while, but um, but yeah, oh, I'm, shit. I'm I'm loving you, it. So you, <laughs> so you haven't you haven't seen like the ending or like what is going on? No, between no, no. With I, Queen America and stuff. Oh God, it's yeah, it's gonna resonate with you. I yeah, that's okay. That's really exciting. And yeah, after <laughs> after I beat it one way, I'm sure I'll watch the YouTube videos of all the different endings. But yeah, um, but God, yeah, that's uh, because to me the tree represents the three worlds, and so if her being the tree is like this this core form and it's actually one of the oldest forms there exist of of her in any form right like asherah ashratum um mm -hmm. and ashratum is actually the name she gave me in a dream to use for her mm, um, okay. which is a very very old one and so i think of like there are these depictions of her being the queen of wild beasts and to me that's like the the base of the tree right there's yeah, there's yeah. all these different levels on which she exists and her epithets are like queen of heaven and she who treads upon the sea and queen mm. of or um she she of the grassy plain and the desert plateau it's like basically anywhere fucking people are <laughs> yeah yeah they, they somehow fit her in but she's also upper lower and middle um mm -hmm. yeah I'll, I'll have to send you a picture i i i have a, a little um, statue of mary queen of heaven and what I originally wanted to do exactly what you did like that's what I felt compelled to do but I didn't like it just didn't have the means of the space at the time mm -hmm. and I had a Mary Queen of Heaven statue so what I've done is um I've gotten some little flowers and stuck them in one hand and then a snake that she holds in the other so that she looks like oh, the old, cool. old depictions of her yeah I've got like a little terracotta uh reproduction of the Bernie relief uh, ah, mine. very nice. I'm glad you associate that more with an Ishtarish, because some people say Lilith, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, the, the only the only thing I could say maybe is is the bird feet thing, um, because the bird feet thing is definitely associated um, in in you know Jewish demonology with the Shadim, uh, like as like a demons have like the bird feet but i also wonder if that's not a consequence of like the yahweh's cult like demonizing iconography that may not have originally been demonic you know in nature yeah I, well from my own experiences i wonder if lilith isn't just the asherah or the astaroth before astaroth yeah like that darker part of her mm -hmm. um like some part of me wonders that because 
I had an experience where I basically was in the Epic of Gilgamesh at that moment at the tree, like yeah. on, five, on five grams of mushrooms, where <laughs> there were birds above me and mm -hmm. there, were, there was a serpent on the ground and there was a female presence in the tree and there was the serpent and the zoo bird and the Lilith in the tree. Mm -hmm. So it was like, but my experience is Asherah is the tree. Yeah. But it was a story about Anana. So it's like this place, my experience was this place where all of the myths converged. Um, but there was like this also, maybe Lilith was part of that too, um, yeah. somehow. I, I don't really know how, but it, it was this mythic moment thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I sort of see it in the same light as like uh, the idea of like, you know, Babylon or the also being like sort of a representation of her, you know, like sure. yeah. I, I think she has all of these like reflections that are, are not her in the sense that it's not, they're not all the same thing, but that, um, you know, that, that Peter Gray line that like that her DNA luminesces within them. Right, right. And, and what, what seems to be very difficult to explain to people is that I worship the her behind all of the forms. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's who I venerate. And that's like who I consider to be like my motherly matron. And it doesn't matter how she shows up. Like I respect that she's so fucking fierce and persistent and loving despite what men do <laughs> yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah well fuck uh, <laughs> yeah we should probably wrap it up yeah i just realized um <laughs> but this has been this has been amazing uh yeah thank, thanks for coming ren um yeah appreciate the invite um you know anytime you want to chat just let me know i'm happy to join i would be happy to have you back maybe we cool. should do uh maybe we should do a uh gunbuster or whatever yeah no seriously if you guys if you guys go watch gunbuster uh which i'm pretty sure you can find all of it online for free i don't think it's had like an actual blu-ray release or anything so don't worry about copyright shit um, I think you can find it all for free online. And if you watch it, I would love to like chat with people about Gunbuster because it's it's an experience. I'll, I'll never forget uh, being on Molly in a theater uh, in Tokyo in 2006, <laughs> like watching the Gunbuster, Diebuster, like double feature movies. <laughs> and during the scene uh, when the Gunbuster first uh, like comes out of the uh, the big space battleship the Excelion and it's got it's like arms crossed and it's got this like march playing like, dun, 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 and it's like this super dramatic heroic moment I like you know I'm like fucking like rubbing my thighs I'm like so I'm <laughs> 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 in DMA and I'm just like I'm having like a real religious experience in this theater <laughs> and I look to my right and there's this like perfect like 80s otaku guy with like thick glasses greasy hair like big baby face and he is just like crying like sobbing he's got <laughs> tears like running down his face and i just look at him and he just looks at me and i'm like yeah man i know i get it <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> we found our church <laughs> oh shit Oh, Our sacrament God. is gun busted. <laughs> yeah.
Definitely too. It, watch watch Die Buster as well because there's actually like I think there's actually like a movie compilation of the two. Um, I actually kind of like the original Die Buster or original Gunbuster like series, like not just the movie version of it because it's only like six episodes. It's like fully cool. Like it's not very long. Um, you know, it's just an OVA. And the same's true for Die Buster too. It's just like an OVA. So um Die Buster especially, you'll see like all the fully cooly stuff in it. And like the animation is like the same team and everything. And you you'll see all the 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 similarities, like the fact that they all ride Vespas and that you know robots come out of their head and they use cats to communicate with their superiors and stuff. It's it's like so much like directly fully cooly. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where it's kind of kind of absurd, but uh, yeah, you'll enjoy it. But watch Gunbuster first before you watch Divebuster. Oh yeah, no, that's great. I love the idea of deepening that context even more, and and with Ava mm-hmm. too. That's yeah, yeah. It, in in specifically, like the ending of Divebuster won't have the same impact unless you've seen Gunbuster. Cool. Like, <laughs> what was that? There was like some video. I think God. Uh, it was like some famous celebrity. I think it was like fake. I don't think it was really them, but they were just like crying, like they were watching something and like crying. And somebody had just said it to the the, the final scene in Die Buster. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> no matter how masculine, no matter how manly you think you are, like this scene will make you break down into tears. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah me too. It, you'll you'll definitely enjoy it. Let me let me know how you how you like it. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have you back for that. That's that sounds amazing. Cool. Cool. Well, well, this was fun. And it was it was nice to meet both of you and talk to you. Um, hopefully I'll I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, definitely. And um join us, uh join us next week. We're gonna have on uh Zamboni Funk and we're gonna be talking about the Incredibles, which which I'm I'm excited for. And Kurt and, Kurt and Zamboni. <laughs> Kurt and Zamboni are both very excited about, and I have mixed feelings, which I will keep to myself for now. <laughs> but um, you know, this that's not what the show's about. The show's about experiences. So <laughs> cool. All right. Have a good have a good day or night or whatever. Uh, yeah. Bye everybody. You too, guys. Bye everyone. <laughs>